Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, to get 20, 20, 20, to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. What's up, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Let's Talk More Movies. It's where I try and talk about movies, but never talk about anything and everything else. I'm your host, Michael Breslin. To my left is... Call. To my right... Calm here. And... What up? <laughs> <laughs> Nothing. We're just saying that this is by far the latest that we started a podcast in many moons. Are you feeling a bit sleepy? Do you think you're going to make it for the whole two-hour segment? Probably not. No. <laughs> I'm just gonna by the a, way, you've got I'm some very... Just gonna have a small nap. You have some very fetching shorts on. I've never seen these before. I've noticed they're, that you, They're new. <laughs> see, I noticed what you wear. I've noticed that a lot of times you usually wear just like sort of PJ buttons, but roll them up. Why do you do that? Are you trying to eat like an LL Cool J wannabe? It's... No, it's just it's very warm in here, so... Very I like, sticky. I like getting me, me calves out. Mighty also calves also very good too. calves. You have fucking unbelievable calves. I like to tell Jill this is why she likes me. She always refutes it, but I was like, no, you're pure, just in love with my calves. <laughs> do, you want to, do you want to tell a listener about that gorgeous GQ-esque photo that you showed me last week? You could possibly even post <laughs> it on the Facebook page if you're not too uh, self-conscious about it. I don't know if I'm going to hear about this here. Oh. No. <laughs> <laughs> no, I think it's a really great picture of me. Mickey it's... looks fucking Hench. I mean, you should see as whole as I carved it a stone. I'll show you the photo. Yeah, I'll, I'll show her in the photo. I'm not going to post it on Facebook because <laughs> no, because I, I threatened the gel to put it as my Facebook like profile pic, but she's all wise up, Mickey. So go, go and see the whole situation about when uh, Jill took a photo and stuff again. I know. I'm just I'm just trying to find this the photo. Just a picture of Mick's naked hole. No, it's it's Mickey lying in bed, absolutely fucked. But basically, his hole sticking out in the air, but his hole is so well framed. No. boxers. <laughs> <laughs> No, it's because it's Jill, Jill took a picture of me in bed when I was just like, just completely past it. Pure starfishing in the bed, just uh, arms and legs you know, as far oh! as I could stretch them. Uh. And I'm just like passed out in bed. And she took this photo to try and somewhat embarrass me, but she showed it to me and I was like, I look hot as hell in this fucking pic. <laughs> and then I, we were over oh, in Chance and I was like, I'm going to show Chance this here. Like, I'm proud of this. And then Chan concurred with me. <laughs> you fucking should have been proud. So here, here you go, Hern. How how goddamn good that looks. Phone turned off. Oh, oh shit! There <laughs> you go. Nice. Look at these warlocks. Look at them cheeks. Fuck me, Mike. Hey, already, hey. He's guy. He's got some good form, doesn't he? I don't. Yeah. I've, I, I surprised myself about how how good yeah. it is. You know what I mean? Do you know like, people like sort of of control their fucking their their like their tits basically? <laughs> <laughs> you know? Mike was able to control his whole. And you could just, just do, shape do, it. Do a wee know. show. Aye, do a wee show. Dang. You can just shape it under your own face and call it like Mount Mickmore or something. <laughs> <laughs> My hair, and you've seen that photo. 
Mickey's boxers are doing overtime in that photo, like, aren't they? Because his hole is eating them boxers. I mean, there's just, there just a crevasse on there. Yeah. <laughs> Where there should yeah. be boxer. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, it almost looks like they're painted on. <laughs> that bo- there's a certain part of that boxer I never see the later day. Like <laughs> yeah. yeah, I'm still currently wearing them. <laughs> Do you know what, Mickey? That one surprised me. When was that photo taken? About three weeks ago? About three weeks <laughs> Change a monthly. You know, who knows? Is the old Gareth Elgar kind of logic of underwear, like, you know? <laughs> is, is that, is at that... first it's constructive and then it becomes a part of you. <laughs> <laughs> I like it. Shank oil. Check, check that we top drawer. From I don't know what the fuck was going on there. Okay, right, top drawer. <laughs> check out we top drawer from there. Oh! There's a card on here. Yeah, he's a two. It's the, uh, myself and my lovely... Girlfriend, Lita, mm. whose birthday was this weekend? When you try open that shit. Oh shit! What's this here? I'm very excited. Oh, fuck, I have to buy something. Right? Very excited. <laughs> what there? What oh. way do you open a letter? No, <laughs> what kind of fucking? I know, I'm you want to empty kids that opens extra when when you've you know you push them all out, you grab the the thing and just tear it open. Oh, thank you very much. So I have an evening invite to uh, your sister and uh, your soon to be what do you call it? brother in law's wedding. Yeah. Thank you very much. I'm very happy. Nice one. Probably won't go. Trish, <laughs> Trish, like Trish handed it to me very angrily and was like, he keeps fucking going on about it in the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> uh, definitely not going on. <laughs> Just to be a real cunt of it. <laughs> now, if you don't want me to go like you, fucking... <laughs> Together with their families, Trish and Ruben would love for Shan and Lita to join them at the opening, or sorry, the evening reception. Alright, don't, don't be fucking telling everybody. Like this is, <laughs> get my phone numbers and stuff. <laughs> Oh, very nice. Can I'm very be- happy. Going to people is. Thanks, Trish, if you're listening. That's that's absolutely lovely. I probably won't go. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, when this goes up, it's probably going to be the week of her wedding. <laughs> if she if she listens to it, <laughs> she'd do a live podcast at the wedding. You ever yeah. thought about that? Oh no, I have a plans. That doesn't bother her about it. Uh, it's called my speech. <laughs> <laughs> but I know you're definitely going. Let me dra- drag you and uh, lady by your fucking ankles and a taxi. <laughs> <laughs> So, Danger Bottle is every week we get a strange bottle of liquid that's nominally fermented. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) It's about the short and narrow, isn't it? But Do you get it this week though? Because obviously we discussed last week how fucking unbelievably scant we've been recently and none of us can afford one. So are we covered this week? Or is this going to be the first ever podcast with a danger bottle? I think we're sponsored. <gasps> we're, we're, hey, we're sponsored by my brother. <laughs> <laughs> Do you have to get a sub? No, no, no. <laughs> it's uh, this week's danger bottle comes from the Brewdog Brewery. Ooh. Oh, fuck, yeah, that's right. He done like some work for them or some shit like that. Well, let me tell the story. Oh, right, Jesus okay, Christ! Sorry. It was my fucking story. <laughs> <laughs> now, if you know Brewdog, it's a brewery. They're they're well known for making very strong beers. I think at one point they made the world's strongest beer. It was like thirty or forty percent or something like that. But my brother's a, a big fan of them. Like he he loves all their beers and he does like a like a subscription box. Like every month they just send you a bunch of different beers and he's 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 well into the ecosystem of Brewdog. So he's like a high class Hulk basically <laughs> he subscribes to get blocked. <laughs> no, he, he 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 just he just likes all the different kinds of beers and whatnot. Yeah, so but they 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 brought <laughs> they were bringing out a new kind of beer called hashtag mashtag. Go on. 
I thought that she just called it Mashtag, but I, I think I think it might just be called Mashtag, but it has a hashtag at the front of it, so I'm saying hashtag Mashtag. Okay. Because okay. it's more fun to say. Thank you. It's probably just called Mashtag. <laughs> but anyway, they they ran a competition about uh, the design label for for the for the bottle, and my brother, being the graphic designer that he is, entered, and it came down to like five designs, and he went on the website and voted and whatnot, and then my brother ended up winning. Yeah, was it like the end of Freddy Got Fingered when. He like brought it to your dad and all. He's all, I sold my doodles, daddy. You <laughs> <laughs> sold your doodles. I'm going to make you so proud. <laughs> proud. Proud. <laughs> you knew the end of Freddy Got Fingered. Well, that's the well. start. I'm, I, 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 a wee, you know, I did a wee DJ remix of the start <laughs> on the end there. I got a picture of Mickey's dad for up to as well. <laughs> Actually, yeah, definitely. <laughs> He just dragged the bear and was all like, guess he blocked. <laughs> but, um, Down the unit. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so he, he won. So his label is now the label of Mashtag or Hashtag Mashtag, whatever like you say. So as as a as a winning for winning the thing, he got... Strong sentence. He, he, got, a, he got a box of Mashtags. Ooh. And so he gifted me one to Ooh. do a Danger Battle of. So here it is. Oh, that fuck was right in front of me the whole uh, time. <laughs> that's, that's the label. It's very... Is this the one he designed? Yeah, that's the one he designed. It's pretty cool, actually. I like it. The United Fist or whatever. (laughs) It's almost like a Red Hand Ulster in many ways. Red Fist Ulster. Red Fist Ulster. You need to see what... No, I'm not going to say anything. (laughs) 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 But yeah. Well, that's a cool, but you can see why he won. There's a there's a bit of a blurb here that I'm not going to read. And uh, did he do that on uh, company time or was your dad behind this? Because what was he... It's, he's, up, he's it's, got, up, it's got, up for discussion. He's got a bit of backlog doing the fucking unit, from what I hear. It's up for discussion. But yeah, I know they, they describe the beer in here. There's like cherries. Did they just pay him su- off a beer? Did he get some dollar bangs at it? Like? No, yeah, I think it's just beer he got. All right. Close. But anyway, it's a... <laughs> crafty fuck, actually. It's a 10.5% beer, beer. Much? 105 It's a strong-ass beer. It's probably maybe going to be the strongest beer I've ever drank. Man, have you? Do we have a bottle opener of 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 some repute? No. Use your teeth. You can do it with your teeth. Here, no, you, I can't do it. Here, I can the, do it anything else. I've got the bottle opening up on my phone. All right, <laughs> so this is like a cherry beer. I like there's, a, there's, I, like I don't know. It tastes cherry with like a sour twist of hair. You're getting something. Old. I don't know. It's not working. Ah, yes, there it does. Take, I a know, there, that, t- 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 take a swig yourself. Rulers, rights, and all that crap. Dealer's choice. What does it smell like? Describe it. 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 it smells like a giant hop. <laughs> <laughs> Just one big hop. You, you know, know, I don't like hoppy shit, like, but. Because uh, you're uh, a very unhappy man. I'll oblige. It's bunnies. Sorry, that's fucking actually P2 crack early. No, I'm kind of a hoppy go lucky kind of guy. You know? <laughs> He hates films. That's actually Russell fucking, Brand and Eric. That's Banner. not bad. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no, what do you call him? Fucking. Cyclops from X Men. Happy Gilmore. James Marsden. James Marsden. I got That's that. Did you say Cyclops from Happy Gilmore? No, he said Happy Gilmore. <laughs> I said X Men. No, I said, I said Happy that? Gilmore. Happy Gilmore. Yeah. What's That's it like there, Harry? It's good. Uh, the old way, the thing we mostly fucking craft ball bag beers is that. Uh, don't slag them off. They're sponsors. I don't care. But, uh, <laughs> just most, not brew dog. I'm saying most of this fucking whole craft thing that's going on at the moment is. All you can taste is hop and then a wee tiny thing in the background that should be the taste. Mm. <laughs> but uh, 
They've managed to do this one quite nice, actually. Yeah. It's not too happy. Do, 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 do you feel the, the 10.5% on there? She's on there, right? Yeah. Uh, Are you happy or unhappy about this? I'm, <laughs> I'm definitely happy about it now. <laughs> <laughs> we just sent it from Belfast. <laughs> We should sell that shit, you know, so we can sell it with all our hot puns. Oh, it smells quite fruity. Mm. Mm. Mm, fruity. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Betty. <laughs> Go on. Your verdict? I like it. I'm just going to take a quick swig. I don't know how I got so back. I don't know how fucking four bottles up here. 10.5% fucking correctly. I know exactly what you mean. I, I kind of find that out. Don't get me wrong. Uh, Brewdog, I absolutely love the fucking IPA, the, the Pale Ale. But that for me just kind of tastes like a bit of a stodgier Pale Ale. I think it's one thing. No, I but I actually like that though. No, I do. No, don't get me wrong. I do like it. But then, uh, you know, concerning it's supposed to be like cherry. I don't, I don't get any sort of fucking cherry. Well, here, I d- like. d- it just, it, I'm, I'll let you remember the cherry. Uh, don't get me wrong. It's fucking yeah. delicious. Here's your taste was right here. This, <laughs> this is what it says. This is what it says. American hops, sour cherries, and oaky warmth. Unite and a triple alliance. <laughs> don't get me wrong. Hey, do not Z- get me wrong. It's zesty fruity notes like, are I, given I, a sour twist followed by a hint of oak and alcohol warmth. All held together by a biscuity, malty backbone. Biscuity? Not biscuity. 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 This is beer to the power of three. Bitter, sweet, and warming. All in perfect harmony. Oh. Hashtag mashtag. Liquid democracy. See if your brother wrote that. Oh, not anymore. liquid democracy. <laughs> liquid democracy. That sounds like the oh. most hipster fucking thing I've ever heard in my life. Liquid God. democracy. Oh, I can just you can taste the, the, that. I you can, can taste the democracy. Right. <laughs> taste freedom, man. He's, he's got the wee fucking, you know, from the fucking. He's got the pencil tash. No, he's got the wee trumpet soundtrack from the start of Saving Private Ryan. On. <laughs> oh, it's just all liquid democracy. <laughs> Is this all... liquid democracy? Liquid unity? What? No, liquid, that liquid democracy. democracy, liquid yeah. democracy. Oh, no, the flavors are united in a triple alliance. Oh, God. Don't get me wrong. But all in all. Very nice beer. It is an absolutely delicious Delishma. beer. No doubt for that bottle alone, it's about four or five that public, but uh, at the same time, very, very tasty. Very, very tasty indeed. Are you just going to polish the rest of it now? Yeah, it's mine. <laughs> <laughs> I just want to see how blocky you can get off a 10.5% beer. I would say, you know what? I would say one of those wee sort of smaller bottles yeah. alone would get you half cut. It's a like 330 ml If you didn't have a big dinner. I think Which I, I had, had a... Which you had a chicken top of a wrap, as i seen. Very classy, I don't really like it. Yeah. I'm, I'm not a proud man. It's chicken twister. <laughs> no, no lettuce. It's homemade KFC, just... No lettuce. Hey, if you lick the ends, you stick them together and it's fucking... Aye. Right. <laughs> put, put a stamp on them, put it in the post box. Mine used to do that with Watsits. See how many Watsits you can stick together in a big stick? Uh, no. <laughs> <laughs> Go on, continue, Mike. Explain this. Yeah. I thought you were like in the wrap, like a fucking letter, just. Oh no! <laughs> no, like if right, if you have a pack of watsits, bite the end off a watsit, we dab on the tongue, bite the end off another watsit, and then mush them together, and they they solidify into a longer watsit. Mm. If you continue this for the entire packet of watsits, yeah. you just get a big long watsit stick. Two, to- two questions about <laughs> strange food habits. I used to do that with dicks that I would find lying around. <laughs> Hence why, I don't even hence, hence, that, do hence, <laughs> hence your deck stick. Aye, that's it. Very quick one about strange food habits. Does anybody else eat No. Eat the chocolate off the cake yet before demolishing the cake yet? No. I know no, a few people do that. That's insane. Also, why in love is, and is, is there people who separate the Oreo and lick out the middle and then eat the Oreo? I think that's a myth. Yeah, they, I, they, I, they try and push that in the marketing. Death's never happens. Just whale them. Sociopaths do that. Just whale them, Andy. Also, see, 
when you even when you snap a chocolate, it's going to break into. Dennis used to fucking get on to me about this here, <laughs> my friend, and uh, who's also uh, also come to that wedding. Uh, a two stick. I can understand. I'm getting on to me if it was a four stick Kit Kat. Uh, what I be at when I eat a Kit Kat? But say a two stick, I just stick at the two sticks. Me, my fucking right, uh, And I was all, he's all, oh, it's fucked. There's a way, man. It's fucked. It's a basket kit yourself exactly. on. But as well as that, <laughs> you know, it's like you break it and you lose a lot of chocolate. Aye. You get a good go. The best bit of chocolate's down the middle. Aye, because I'll be struck. Sheer chock. It's like mine uh, at the Aye. end of a Cornetto. A wee bit of chocolate at the bottom Aye. of my home. That's the oh, best part. Oh, there's a man fist after fist my own heart there. Hey, <laughs> when it comes to fucking confections. Did you, did, you, <laughs> <laughs> did you ever get the, the, the fucking rare thing of you bite into a Kit Kat? Just a wee small, just a wee, just a wee tip. That's all it's chocolate. It's chocolate. Mm. And you're like, oh, obviously I didn't take a deep enough bite for biscuit. Take another bite. Still chocolate. Yep. Whole thing's fucking chocolate. Aye. It's amazing. <laughs> do you know I got three Mars bars in a row once that was just pure chocolate and no caramel or nougat inside? I do not believe that. No, nah, I was completely lying. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely pull that out of your I got a whole box of eggs that were double yolks. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> I got a packet of extra, it was just brandy balls one day. <laughs> Should have done this shit. Multi-pack that flash up instead of just. Aye. <laughs> Aye. <laughs> Aye. I got a, a cheeseburger. It was a pack of extra strong ones. One <laughs> we pack a tree boy. Right? Yeah. I got home. I was fucking love it when I got on here. That's, that's the last sensation I was hoping for. Like. Still at them though. Yeah, still at them. I was like, that fucking raving. Put a couple of cheese slices on top of them. He done the difference. Done the difference. Just fried them in. <laughs> What they call uh, sliders, we we money burgers like, but they were white. So what have we watched this week, <laughs> folks? <laughs> Who's going first? Uh, I'll go first because mine's is uh, quick. I think anyway. So Always said. I know every week I say this. Er, goddamn week. Uh, watch San Andres was released last year, directed by Brad Payton. I don't think he's done much on I think he done the... What do you call that fucking... Those can't rock say films. much else either, to be fair. Those rock yeah. films? <laughs> no, the rock... You know the one... It's Journey to the Center. What is it again? Journey to the Center oh, there? Uh, for Journey... Yeah, Journey to the Center there. Yeah. No, the, no, it's just Journey. As a Journey. Well, he done the sequel, that's... Journey which, 2. Journey I, 2. I, I, that's... I, oh, journey, that's... I thought you meant Journey 2 Summer, but you mean Journey 2 isn't the number 2. Aye. No, because... Journey to the Center... Oh, that's, was it that's, Witch Mountain? That's... No, that's a different. That's Return to Witch Mountain. You're getting you're getting your rock Disney films all mixed uh. up. <laughs> no, I, I think it's just called Journey Two. Well, but Journey to the Center of the Earth is a Brendan Fraser film. Ah, oh, fuck, that's right. Yeah, did they get a sequel as well? No. no What's okay, the yeah. fucking one we we Will Ferrell and all in? Is that that's Land of the Lost. Land of the Lost. Oh. I completely shit the bed. But uh, very strange. Aye. Very quickly, anyway. Uh, directed by Brad Payton, uh, obviously done Journey Two. Uh, it's just, it's, you know what? It's just a really, really, really fucking topical disaster film. Anything that you would expect to happen, a disaster film happens. It is the ultimate fucking box ticker. Uh, to be honest, the only reason I watched it is because the rocks on it, and the only reason that I watched it recently is because I'm gonna be playing a rock binge. I mean, I think I talked about Central Intelligence last week, and then I was. Uh, flicking through and I've seen San Andreas I was like ah fuck it I'll watch it is that the boy that went on the director is that the boy that went on Dragon's Den and tried to sell himself because he owned the patent oh, <laughs> oh my word oh my word oh right? god he's on form uh, I, I had no idea where that was going <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. anyway sorry 
Well, if he's American, it's Shark Tank, so we'll get it right, Darren. All right, I don't but uh, I don't care. most basic, <laughs> most, most basic story of all time. Essentially, a the Rock is a former Iraq helicopter pilot. He's like a fucking ace pilot, like sauna at Topcom. Uh, returns home, and now he's just basically <laughs> they, they, they called him Iraq. <laughs> <laughs> returns to my rock. <laughs> <laughs> Just baiting a cunt out of himself, just, just seeing what he can survive of his own ferocity. But what he does now is he, uh, he helicopters around like the fucking, I don't know, like the, the Californian valleys and stuff like that. And if there's any sort of earthquake or any sort of seismic trouble, he helps people who are sort of trapped or whatever else. Or he helps people if there's like fires or whatnot. But uh, lo and behold, as the title would suggest, there is like increased activity around the San Andreas Fault. And then, essentially, the world's biggest earthquake ever had. I think it's like a fucking nine point seven or some shit. Like I think they say in the film, the biggest ever was a nine point five, and it completely fucking wrecks Los Angeles and basically yeah. just wrecks California. And it's basically then just a rock trying to get in touch with his recently estranged family. Always recently estranged. He's just divorced from Carla. That's Could, a Spielberg one, isn't it? Yeah. Mm. He's just. Uh, he's just divorced from Carla. Kaguino, I think that's what it is. She was in Sun City and stuff like that. Or not Sun City. No, she was in Sun City and Watchmen. Uh, and then his daughter is the very, very lovely Alexandra Daddario uh, from True Detective. Who is a, a, a gorgeous woman, Alexandra Alexander Daddario. Daddario. True Detective. True Detective. Uh, well, you can just say the, 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 the babe in True Detective. The scene in True Detective. Not, not that they're really... Phenomenal tracking chat, but she's she's going with Woody, Woody Harrelson. Not that's basically what. All right, is the one he, yeah, well, he would get stuck in. As does the when he's buying that ball roll and all. No, no, that's the other one. That's the other one. I'm not friendly. Woody's got a good strike rate. The the gal, the gal. Even though listen, it's completely irrelevant. him up on his other phone. Fuck, it doesn't go him. Listen, we'll not get stuck in this, but. He is trying to. He's trying to rescue. Oh, when they get stuck re- in the Alexander. He's trying to rescue. Fuck, sorry. Listen, we're trying to be fucking professional. <laughs> but uh, he's trying to rescue his recently estranged wife and his daughter, and it's just essentially it's just set piece after set piece. And don't get me wrong, the set pieces are very very predictable, but they all look amazing. And they're all ridiculously over the top, but you just kind of buy into it because you know what they expect when you're going to do this ash film with Star in a Rock. It's fun. The only thing about it, and it's another sort of trope of these films, is that the dialogue is just... You actually wonder how this has passed through so many hands, <laughs> and nobody thought there was at least, I mean, at least 50 other ways you could do this line. But I, I, sometimes I think they do it just to be naff, you know, so people have got that so bad it's good sort of pleasure it. Because I'm assuming that most, not most people, but a lot of people who go to disaster films or films of that ilk are going sort of for the tackiness and the sort of eye candy and mm. for it to be bad in the way, but there's some mm. lines I think I it's see against CIS, yeah, sort of. Aye, like I can't see it because like, we watched an episode out last night. Oh, oh Jesus, it was boring. I was about to bring him up because we were speaking about LL Hay, but uh, LL and Chris O'Donnell Hay. Oh, it's way bad. I, I can't imagine how they got so many series and so many episodes out of naval crimes. I literally said this last night. Because <laughs> not only was N- I think for a two-year period, NCAS <laughs> was the highest-rated and most-watched show in America. <laughs> and you're thinking, if anything, I'm impressed by the writers because <laughs> how they can tie in eight series worth of naval crime, I would, <laughs> you would struggle one episode. You know what I mean? Not to mention CSI is in the fucking name. (laughs) (laughs) You know what I mean? I I thought that we would have saw three out in a season, but apparently not. (laughs) But anyway, there's some... uh, 
there's some un- there's some unbelievably clunky dialogue. I think one of the worst bits of dialogue. It's it's towards the end. It doesn't really spoil anything because I don't think you can really spoil anything with disaster films. No. You know what? There's going to be a big wreckage, and you know that usually the hero is going to come out on top and rescue who he needs to fucking rescue. But uh, at the end, the rock is sitting with his arm around uh, Carla Coguino and they're looking out on fucking San Francisco which is completely totaled and the Golden Gate Bridge is lying on fucking butts always gets it tight always gets it tight <laughs> it's always ironic that it's always that the world's top landmarks that get it tight in these disaster films mm. you know what I mean you never see like a fucking disaster film in Quebec or it's, something like that or you never see a disaster film in Dundalk it's like in <laughs> Independence Day Resurrection like Jeff Goldblum says oh they love the landmarks <laughs> <laughs> probably the only good thing about that film but uh, aye he sent me his, uh, his arm around his, his now unestranged wife and the, you know it's all weepy and stuff and she's all what do we do now and he looks to go and get bridge and there's actually the shot that you would think that nobody would go for anymore of the sort of triumphant patriotic stars and stripes flowing in the wind oh, really? and then he's all we rebuild <laughs> like I was, I thought to myself and you can kind of see it throughout the film I didn't pick up enough through the promotional material but me and, and Rory Heron uh, Smith were talking about this last night he kind of puck up on the fact that it seems sort of semi-patriotic and they're sort of drawing these parallels with America being out in dust on lands and getting attacked by foreign entities and stuff like that. And watching the film, you can definitely see that. I mean, I think that Mother Nature is basically just an allegory for, you know, these unknown terrors that lie in, like, maybe the Middle East and some shit mm-hmm. like that. And that line really drove it home at the end. Like, oh, what are we doing now? We rebuild. It was almost like, oh, we're rebuilding after, like, 9-11 and yeah. after, like, the, the, the war in Iraq and stuff like that. I wouldn't say they think that much on it. No, I no, but I thought that that was. I know, like I know, I know, I know but like, it's kind of thing because I'd say the first person that made a film like that drew those kind of allegories. You know, for example, even like you look back at the first Independence Day, and they, you know, they blew up the fucking White House, White Empire House. State Building. Oh, yeah. And then you know what followed in real life, then obviously it was September 11th. So, you know, there's like there's kind of a spookiness about that. Yeah. Because it's a major landmark, but I think. It's one of these things when they remake so many of a certain type of film, I think they don't even know what allegory is. They just know that bit has to be there because no, it's in the no, rest. Of, do you know what I mean? No, but no, I'm saying it is what it means. I'm not saying that. I'm not saying that. I'm not saying that they've thought about this in any sort of in-depth No, no, way, I know. I know. But it's just, it's just, it Aye. is just an easy allegory for them. They pull in there, but that's why I'm saying it's so Aye. tacky. The fact that he says we have to rebuild, you're thinking, Jesus Christ, you're trying, you're, you're making Aye. this that blatant that this is about. Like America rebuilding, that it doesn't even have the desired effect. It just makes it look really fucking naff and tacky. Aye. But uh, besides some of the clunky dialogue and stuff like that, it, it, it ticks the boxes that you would expect that they tick. And to be honest, with you, the only reason I watched it is because I was absolutely hanging out of my hole on Thursday, <laughs> really, really hungover, and I just could not. Like bet, just. I could not fucking handle anything that was in any way, even one day. <laughs> I, mean, I, I had to have the most basic. Spoon fed narrative of all time as a you know what a whack on a fucking disaster yeah. film that, rack, any, that suits me. I was trying to watch somebody any... play for the, the first Mario, but I couldn't even get a good one. <laughs> <laughs> couldn't even get a playthrough. Like <laughs> any uh, any nice speeches or anything? Because the oh, thing I always really like about Independence Day is Bill Pullman's speech. Yeah. You know, like today is our Independence Day. We will not go silently into the night. Yeah, it's so good. <laughs> You're like, oh, let's fight a fucking war. I think it's actually it's, it's fuck them, so, fuck them. <laughs> I saw that it was actually pretty. Uh, pretty surprised that because even though it is your topical disaster film in that regard it, it subverts that because well I suppose one of my other gripes about the film is that The Rock's always The Rock and he's always going to be really charismatic and stuff like that but I think that 
it's the most reserved I've ever seen The Rock. I mean, like, his character is so blandly written that I don't know if it was the director's choice that he doesn't let The Rock kind of flow with, but they try and make him like a really. The way I can compare it is when the reviews came out for Jurassic World and people were saying, mm. oh, Chris Pratt's not being Chris Pratt, but they done that character in a good way and it was, you know, decently written and Chris Pratt came off as, oh. as having a well rounded character, whereas with The Rock, especially when it's a big fun disaster film. Fair enough, you don't want him fucking doing cartwheels and, you know, doing one-liners and stuff like that. You want a wee bit of personality and he's just really uncharismatic in it. He's like the most... Bla- you know who's like Aaron Taylor-Johnson and Godzilla? Yeah, all right. He is exactly like Aaron. He's like he's like a walking cupboard. They don't yeah. get it. I'm mean, like, mm. considering they probably paid, because The Rock now is the fucking highest mm. paid movie star in Hollywood, considering they had to probably pay a fucking absolute fortune to get him on board for a film. Mm. They don't utilize him. They don't use his talents at all. Like mm. he is, just, he, any actor could have done it. In terms of focus on the film, is it just it's it's entirely focused just on the Rock trying to get his family back? Like, there's no kind of like there's no like president or any no, kind of government no, trying to it, decide it, what it, happens. It, it is a really stripped down because usually, like even in, like 2012 and stuff like that, you've got the whole thing about the president, and then you've got this yeah, the, whole the thing. arcs and all. Aircraft. You've got the whole thing too about like this uh, all the the fucking billionaires on the earth have got this big boat that they're going to um, go on to kind of get off the land. There's nothing like that. It's really really stripped down. It literally is just a rock trying to get his family. And the, I mean, like, bar that, the only other I would say uh, extra characters um, is Paul Giamatti. Paul Giamatti like plays like he he's like an expert say as it says seismologist seismologist seismologist. He's like an expert it. in like kind of uh, the movement of tectonic plates and like earthquakes or whatever else. And he pops up. In all fairness, he is literally there to just to be exposition. You yeah. know what I mean? Because the focus on the rock is all about the action and the movement of him getting his family back and then every so often Paul Giamatti pops up in his lab explaining to this news crew exactly what's happening and why this is happening I was hoping he was like the rock's best mate no <laughs> you know what? it's not and I, I fucking love Paul Giamatti he's one of those actors the rock in the head like, <laughs> they never even share a scene they're completely separate Aye. it's just that they don't share any sort of scenes they're not connected in any way you just have Paul Giamatti in his lab who's outside of California explaining what's happening why, and then you've kind of got the rock he's basically on the ground mm. kind of trying to work out through this this carnage but uh, I don't know I kind of like the two because on a personal level I Paul Giamatti for me is just one of those actors that makes anything better and yeah. even we just like a really I suppose it just shows the fucking talent of the actor even we just a really unmedia role which is so unbelievably fucking 2D and it gives him nothing and he's basically just there to spout out exposition he gives it a lot of feeling and there's this scene where he's speaking under the camera, that, that classic fucking disaster movie trope too, and he's warning the people to get out of the town, but even through like the sort of sparse, sort of standard written dialogue he's got, he, he, he does create a wee bit of emotion with it, and I don't think many other actors could have pulled that out, but he can, like you know what I mean? Is it not right, though, that Paul Giamatti in the film, he's he's actually like the San Andreas Fault's agent, and then he, he kind of ends up screwing them over for more money? What? <laughs> <laughs> just making a joke that he was an agent in Straight Outta Compton and in fucking Love and Mercy. <laughs> Old enough after seeing him, after seeing him essentially they play, he is the, in Love and Mercy as well. He is, he, you know what? He's even no, but see that the weird thing is, is that he played two agents in a very short period of time in Straight Outta Compton and Love and Mercy. And Straight Outta Compton is a very flawed character, and obviously he's robbing the fuck out of easy, and easy doesn't know until the end. But I like the sort of duality of that character where it actually seems like he genuinely cares about EZ and he probably is tore up about robbing the money off him. There's a great scene as well where all of, um, I suppose say public enemy, all of NWA are kind of face down and they're getting frisked 
and kind of beaten down by uh, the LAPD for no reason. Just the only reason being is because you know they're black and they're standing on a street corner. And Paul Giamatti standing outside this recording show and he's fucking appalled by it. And it mm. seems like he is genuinely uh, a hitter of racism, like. But then in Love and Mercy, where he plays Brian Wilson from the Beach Boys agent, he has an abs not even agent care when Brian Wilson kind of. Uh, went on the psychosis about he is an absolute cunt. I mean, like, he is mm. one of the most despicable men of all time. And it just shows as well that, again, the talents of Paul Giamatti. And then he can do Giamatti. basically what is two very standardly written agent rules, but we kind of sort of different directions and play them so well. And it, it usually is one of the most memorable things about the film. Because for me, he's one of the most memorable things about Love and Mercy, even though it's a great film. And the same goes with Straight Out Compton. Lovely stuff. Heron, what you watch this week? Watched uh, Public Enemies. Uh, it's a Michael Mann film with Christian Bale and Johnny Depp. And like, there's, there's a big massive cast in it, but that's the two main leads. It's based on John Dellinger, who was kind of comparable to Jesse James, except he was during the Depression era and um, he was a bank robber. And... I mean, there's been many films made about John Dillinger, but uh, has there? Huh? Yeah. Oh, there's been stacks. I mean, John Mellis wrote a film about him, and uh, but specifically him, or to kind of like using that character. No, actually, him, him. I him. think the majority of them would have been, and it's actually kind of interesting because the majority of them would have been around the late twenties and early thirties mm-hmm. when Dillinger had literally just died. So I mean, like he was on the public conscience, and he was like some. He was basically like an anti-hero at the time. And was, unlike yeah. Jesse James, who was always built up as being like a Robin Hood and like Robin from the rich and giving that power, which Jesse James never done. It was all for his own benefit. Yep. Dillinger actually maybe didn't do it in the sort of glorified way that we hear now, but he did actually do it. Like he never harmed the public and stuff like that there and yeah. all. And like famous, I mean, he says it in the film, but he had said it before famously, is that, uh, you know, uh, I hide out among the public, so mm. why would I ever steal the public's money? You know, there's like... It's it's because, I mean, because I'm a big Michael Mann fan and I did Heat and things like this here. There's a line in Heat where uh, Robert De Niro said, uh, you know, he's, while, he's t- while, they're, while they're taking that bank in downtown Los Angeles, he says, we're here for we're here for the bank's money, not yours. Your money is insured by the federal government. You're not going to lose a dime. Mm. It's sort of inspired by that when there's a moment where Dillinger is walking out of the bank and the boy has his money out and he puts it out and he says oh I'm here for the bank's money not yours aye so don't worry about it so you know it's the, and I think people don't realise that it was that that came from Dillinger yeah and yeah, then aye. Michael Mann did it in Heat because he was already a big Dillinger fan but obviously Michael Mann made Public Enemies long after Heat yeah but that's you kind of realize that's where it came from. And now in every bank film, it's like we're here for the bank's money, not yours. But I don't think right. a lot of people realize where that comes from. Even especially a bank film that's trying to, in some ways, generate sympathy for right. the sort of villain protagonist. Exactly. Johnny, they're not that bad a person. I think it the lines even in the town. I think it must be a thing, a staple of fucking bank films in its Because yeah. even there's a line in the new film, which I'm really interested in, Hell or High Water, mm-hmm. with uh, Ben Foster. And What's that about? Uh, it's uh, well I'll just explain who's in it first is it Jeff Bridges in it Ben Foster's in it Kirk what do you call him uh, Captain Kirk what do you call him oh Chris, Chris Pine. Pine Chris Pine's in it Ben Foster and Chris Pine play two brothers who I think become kind of low level bandits in a kind of a, a rural uh, Southern America and well not Southern America but like, like uh, Western America like a, uh, Texas this kind of thing not South 
Oh, well, Southwest sort of thing. Oh, South, oh right, sorry, Southwest uh, thing. But, um, and so the reason they want to rob banks is because the financial system was so fucked up that a house that their mother spent years and years trying to keep and just about kept, the state wants to take it off them because it was their inheritance kind of thing and it's their home house and so the state wants to take it off them so they decided to rob a bank uh, to take they get the fucking money and this kind of thing but from what I'm seeing in later trailers the whole film is kind of, of talking about the political and this is set in modern day this, this it's, it's, it's set near enough modern day yeah. I, it might be a wee bit older I was looking at the cars and stuff and all the clothes it looks a, maybe a wee bit older but near enough modern but it's quite interesting but they have that line in it. Uh, we're here for the banks, money, not yours. And I'm just, I always yeah, think just, about that's that's Dillinger's line, like very quickly as well. It's actually very, very interesting you talking about that film because the whole reason that you had the sort of outlaw period in the twenties and early thirties, like Dillinger in America, was because of the Great Depression, yep. and there was a lot of sort of people saying at the very start of this recession, will we see like a more sort of refined or a more sort of modern version of you know, those bandits from that period, but yeah. instead of actually going in the banks and robbing them with guns, will they be doing it through, like, cybercrime and stuff uh-huh, like that? Uh-huh. They were wondering if that if there would be, like, a proliferation of that, but, you know, I don't know, it never actually happened. Yeah. But it was a kind of interesting yeah. parallel, you definitely, know what I mean? what, Definitely. What do you call the Australian outlaw? Like, he's like... Ned Kelly. Ned Kelly. I was, uh, I was just annoying me. because good, proud Irishman. No, because it was annoying me in my head because you were talking about, like... John Dillinger stuff and like all our outlaws and it's like what the fuck do you call very, it very very uh, very quick one uh, sorry I know I can't, I've talked over you again but uh, I was cause I used to be really really interested in the character not the character but the person Ned Kelly and read a lot about him and stuff again a good few years ago and I was explaining Ned Kelly to a friend of ours and I told him about the fact that him and his brothers and a few friends, uh, when they were fighting off basically like the Australian fucking police force or whatever it would have been the US Marshals at the time they literally welded together full body iron suits, like mm. full welded iron suits. They fight off the place, and then obviously because they were completely and utterly outnumbered, they were defeated. You know, eventually. But I was telling this to a friend. He watched the, the Ned Kelly film with uh, Heath Ledger, and he was like, "That that's it. That has to be someone that they've wrote on their film. Like that. This just has to be someone that they've created. <laughs> they make it interesting." And I was saying, you know what? You know, fucking sometimes reality is fucking stranger in fiction. This actually did happen, like back in like the fucking nineteen uh, twenties. Uh, it's annoying thing too. Like I mean, the, the sometimes the the strangest things in films that you think yeah. would never happen happen. Like I mean, in in, in Heat, there's that conversation. We're getting getting off topic, but it doesn't matter. It's, it's Michael Mann's what's related. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> that's what that's what I'm going to tell myself now. But uh, <laughs> there's that conversation between Al Pacino and Robert De Niro on it, where uh, Pacino pulls him over and says, uh, "How about we get a cup of coffee?" You know, and they go for a cup of coffee, and people go, "That's probably the most unrealistic thing in the whole film." But yeah. that's the thing that did happen. Whereas, I th- I don't know if he's called Lee McCauley and L.A. Takedown. L.A. Takedown was a previous attempt at that script, yeah. made yeah. by Michael Mann as well. It was a TV script. I, 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 he might be called Lee McCauley. I can't remember. But the reason he's called Lee McCauley is because when he was researching the f- the, the film about the bank robbers, uh, he met this cop who. Uh, says he always remembers this character, Neen McCauley. He was so strict about his heist. He'd been in prison a few times and stuff. He was so strict that, in, you know, like, he was about to take down a supermarket, you know, when it was about to, he was going to take down the cashiers of a supermarket during, like, a high time when he knew there was a lot of cash in supermarkets. And uh, they were on to him. 
and they were staking it out and a couple of uh cops were dressed up as security guards and cashiers and things and uh Neil McCauley was walking around and uh the way one of the cops describes it is that he sort of walked around the place and he was looking at it and then he just he looked at this guy and just he just knew that he was wrong. Mm-hmm. He just he's like that's that's not either he wasn't there the day before or the clothes he's wearing doesn't suit him and he just looks he just doesn't look right and he walked away from the job. And the cop always says always admired him for, for, for being so strict and not getting greedy. He was a yeah, professional. Like, but it's the whole thing with Pacino and De Niro, or sorry, Pacino and De Niro and Heat. It's, it, there is that sort of, and I aye, think it's pretty blatant, it's a respect, mutual aye. respect. Because it seems like Pacino actually does admire De Niro in many ways. I mean, sure, even fucking, uh, I can't remember who says it, but they're describing what Pacino feels about De Niro to it's, De Niro when he's all your so slick he's it's, just, he it's, this, John, yeah. it's John Voight John it's, it's, it's that right, scene under the underpass where John right, Voight says he says uh, my guy downtown says that he likes you and he's always all what and he says he's all oh, he's so sharp he does this and so and De Niro starts to kind of laugh and stuff and whatever and but it's brilliant because there's these comparisons that are kind of made between where, where he says the thing about a cop he says he can shoot and miss he says, you can't miss once. He says, that's the difference between you two. You're on the other side. like. Mm-hmm. And the thing about the coffee shop scene is that the the cop who was after the real Neil Macaulay bumped on him in the street and he says, let's get a cup of coffee. And he says, the, he knew he was on a score, but he just didn't know what it was. And he didn't. He wasn't on to him properly yet. Mm-hmm. And he says, the conversation pretty much ended with him saying, you know, you know we, actually, we actually respect you. You know, as in, I, I really respect, you know, your craft, you know, yeah. you're very good at what you do. And he says, it might end with us killing each other or whatever. He says, but we're, we're going to meet again. Like, and they both agree, we're going to meet again, but they just left. Kinda, you know, and yeah. it's mad. And like, he told this story to Michael Mann and then this, this obviously made it into the script and it, and people think it's the most unbelievable thing in the script, but it's the thing that actually happened. Well, it's, it's you know just other I mean? lines. That's, you know what I mean? Reality I know, is stranger in fiction. It's like in, uh, I was going to say true blood there, but there, there will, there will be blood. <laughs> No, apparently True Blood is actually really... Yeah. Oh, no, that's... Well. Like, it's like in Harry Potter, Philosopher's yeah, Stone. When, uh, <laughs> a, 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 apparently that is based on the memoirs of a vampire who used to be about New Orleans. You know, like a, <laughs> Yo, just... Alexander Skarsgård aye, just aye. is that hot. Aye, aye. <laughs> it's going to be the vampires based on the same vampire. I think they've just kind of done it now, doesn't it? No, but in There Will Be Blood, the whole I drink your milkshake, but that's that's, that's taken true, from yeah, actual true, transcript yeah. from an account, uh, uh, a court case or something. Obviously, I've been... Being one of my fucking top three favorite films. Ask me, Mickey, what's my favorite film today? What's your favorite film, Jan? Taxi Driver. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think you're saying, because I said to you before, you always say Taxi Driver's up there, but you never say Taxi. I think you're saying the last couple of times just to placate me. <laughs> just to make you happy. It's always but, that part uh, yeah, Obviously, There Will Be Blood. Uh, again, we're going really off topic. That's a very, very quick point. Um, adapted, basically, from Upton Sinclair's. I think it's like a 1920 novel. Oh, and um, when he was re- Paul Thomas Anderson, when he was researching for There Will Be Blood, he looked through a lot of court cases that were set in that California Valley where all these oil wells were found, and he did find a court case through his research where this man verbatim said the line "I drank your milkshake." He used that analogy, and when he put it on the film, I know it's become sort of synonymous with a film that's been parodied so many times mm. about like it seems like it's not only out of character but out of tone with a film and it seems like it's not really realistic but Paul Thomas Anderson has always held up the butter pepper and says listen this is taken from that time period mm-hmm. and nobody mm-hmm. can believe it you know what I mean I kind of just really want to watch There Will Be Blood now. <laughs> <laughs> well we'll do it after because all enough before we were actually chatting about this I was going to suggest watching There Will Be Blood yeah. after <laughs> 
Anyway, but, um, all right, no. So public the public enemy thing, like, bringing it on back, is is um, I mean, obviously that's bringing it back to that thing of that's your money. You know, I'm here for the states or the the bank's money. But um, Dillinger, he, he he was like a Jesse James character because I think Jesse James was just after the Civil War, and and uh, obviously Dillinger was during the Depression era. Yeah, and it was one of these things where they both represented characters who were pretty much after their own means but they sent a message out to the public saying that pretty much if you want it yeah, go and were, fucking get it because your government has let you down your government were, has fucked you over they were doing essentially and, uh, they were flying a flag of that go and get what you fucking do, yeah. uh, exactly you know they, they, like they loved it through whatever and even when he arrived when he when he was taken to Illinois and this kind of thing and all or Indiana and uh, Indiana it was I was present in Indiana um when he was getting driven to prison, they were all waving at him, and he was like a celebrity and this kind of thing and all. And that, um, that's all thing because him and the likes of Jesse James were doing what the majority of the people wanted to do because they were so fucked off and how their government aye. had screwed them over. Even though they were on the wrong side of the law, most people thought that they were doing the right thing and this the way it should be, and that's why they became heroes. Like you know, and yeah. that's why they're still heroes. Like I mean, yeah. they a lot of people, a lot of people still quote Jesse James aye. or John Dillinger as being anti-heroes or yeah, yeah anyway. Yeah. Yeah. The, the the film it, it kind of uh, Michael Mann's definitely guilty of subtlety to a fault nearly do you know what I mean like so, some things are too subtle yeah and you're kind of going <laughs> so subtle you don't know you're watching a film you're like, <laughs> uh, so subtle you think you're watching a blank screen yeah, it's just fucking Michael, Michael <laughs> Mann eating uh, a sandwich on the lot or uh, something like that <laughs> but it's the point where you know I, th- I think that film was sometimes guilty of unless you knew the history of, of what was going on at the time uh, you know, you weren't picking up on things. I mean, you heard these names before, like in the in one of the opening sequences of, right? So there's there's John Dellinger, and there's Melvin Purvis, who was one of the first heads. Uh, were uh, the G Men? G Men, yeah. He was one of the first G Men, which was set up by the Hoover Boys, J Edgar Hoover. Uh, right. who, Shouldn't that be J Men? <laughs> nah, no, 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 no. it was Jagger Hoover who set up the FBI, yeah, which was a special division of elite uh, kind of secret service agents who yeah. went after major crimes. Most of them as well, ex- and, and they could jump states. They they could jump states and go after major yeah. crimes. So yeah. because because Dillinger was you know, robbing a bank in one state and then hiding out in another, and so and the FBI was created so they could they yeah. could have. Yeah, well, I, that basically I full. Understate control, Aye, understate of crime. control. I pretty much like it was like it was like they were I mean, they're, they're federal agents. That's what it is. <laughs> the government men. It's, it's call it what it is. Like. It's just call that's a, that's a, a spade. That's what G men. It's federal agent. Federal. The government men. That's federal what G bureau. stands for. Aye, you don't have to sh- shit over me, whole J men comment. But uh, and so this is this is what the crack was on me. But um, it. I remember really looking forward to going to see this film because it was a. Big Michael Mann film. Uh, I'm big. I'm still on Big Michael Mann film, but uh, I've seen so many of his films, and you, you sometimes think that when you've seen all of this person's work, then you, you're going to watch this film and get the language, or you get the, yeah. you know, the visual literacy of of, of his piece of work. Hmm. His film before that was Miami Vice, which I wasn't majorly fond of. I still have come back there again, and I actually do like it. And before that was Collateral, but this one I thought right. It's back to kind of the bank thing and all, but the it's set in the forties. Mm-hmm. Aye, it's crime and stuff. And uh, 
I went to see it, and it was one of these things where I went to Strand Cinema in Derry, and it was Screen 6, and I just called it the Notorious Screen 6 now, because... I think we might have seen this in the same screen, because I think that's where I went to see it as well. Because the screen, it kept drifting and out of focus, and there was a fucking woofer at the back, which Aye, kept really having a... Sound. I had a... Having a Aye. In the back, and I've seen a couple of films there, and the second one I walked out of, at the start I thought it was part of the soundtrack of Public Enemies, I thought it was this sort of... Weird soundtrack and the first. You love it. Like, I really like that repetitive banging noise. Aye, and then it went out it's and complained. Like the witness when I thought Aye. it was all mute. Aye. Aye. It's a thing. A thing of comedy. Fucking hate, and I can't fucking stand it when mm. there's a room full of two hundred people and they're all paying fucking five bucks. Five times two hundred is a fucking grand, Aye, and fucking you can't even get the fucking sound right in the thing. It just it, it, it really fucking grates on me. Like and. So I went and complained and I was bollocks and all and then just <laughs> Did you get in? <laughs> we got a complainer. What'd you, no, what'd you get? What'd you get? Got a couple of fucking cinema tickets given to me friend or whatever. Like, but <laughs> He's like, oh, I, I want to come back and experience this bad fucking cinema experience. <laughs> you know? uh, exactly. I said, Why the fuck? You know, reimburse hey. the fucking theatre. So hey. nobody else is complaining. That's because they don't fucking know any better. It doesn't hey. make your... You know, I was... Oh, I was see, fucking loving it. See, with that Strand Cinema, you're fucking lucky you got that there because me and fucking Jack, in fairness, were about 13 or 14. Went they see... No, probably about actually 12 or 13. Went to see Minority Report. During the film, the fire alarm went off and the whole fucking building had to be evacuated. Went up then and seen, like, if we go on the next screen or whatever else, he says, no, you have to pay for it again. No reimbursement what? whatsoever. No reimbursement. Couldn't even, get, couldn't even get back and they fucking see it, like. It was, and the best thing is, as well, it was cut literally at about fucking 45 minutes on. So it's not even like you got most of the film. I'll, I'll tell you a better one. I ordered a takeaway from this pizza place one time, go. right? And it was like a meal thing. We're going to wee bit more off topic now at this stage, like, but uh, go ahead on I. I was watching a film, time is fine. Yeah. <laughs> All right, no, but right, no, it was this meal thing. I can't, I, I can't even remember if it was pizza plus, but it was just this deal thing, right? And it came with like, say it was like two pizzas and two bags of chips or something like that. It only came like one bag of chips. This is what I remember. I was missing a bag of chips. So rang him up saying, I've ordered this thing and it's missing a bag of chips. And the boy's all, no, 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 that, that deal only comes with one bag of chips. I was all, right, well, it says on your website it's two bags of chips. I ordered that deal from your fucking website. And that's what it is. He's all, no, that deal only ever had one bag of chips. And I was like, right, well, that's not what says on your website. And I had this whole back and forth then. And so the way the way he's, he tried to resolve it with me was like, okay, okay, I'm, 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 gonna, I'm going to write your, your name down. Here now, doesn't know my name. Don't tell him my name. <laughs> so I'm going to write your name down here. Next, next, next time you are from us, you're going to get an extra bag of chips. It's like, do you actually think I'm ordering from you again <laughs> after this? Just Aye. and to be fair, you order the same day. He'll just give you two anyway. <laughs> and he thinks he's doing you a favor. <laughs> Fuck him. But also, definitely, if I did order from him again and be like, oh, you owe me a bag of chips. Mm. Never fucking getting an extra bag Aye. of chips. Here, back to public enemies. Aye. I think it was a valid But the interesting thing about the, the John Dillinger story, right, is is that w- with Jesse James, I think purely p- purely what happened, I mean, in lots of senses, the same thing happened to the two of them, is that time caught up with both of them, right? Yeah. But there was no technological developments. It was purely just that Jesse James had kind of exhausted his, his resources of people a lot of the people that he had worked with, he had killed, and he'd been too paranoid and this kind of thing. And because, um, well, what's I think it's very much well depicted in the assassination of Jesse James by the card Robert Ford by Brad Pitt is 
how Jesse can't have friends because he doesn't trust anybody. It's depicted in one scene, but it, it's very, very well depicted. The difference between him and Dillinger is that what catches Dillinger is technology, and it's something that he doesn't see coming, doesn't understand, and doesn't really... Like, with the FBI came wiretapping, which uh, was an unsanctioned thing. It, there was no warrants. There was none of this. They just had this new technology of wiretapping, so they could tap any phone they wanted to. So they could tap his girlfriend's phone. They could tap known associates' phones. And that's ultimately how they were able to track him mm-hmm. and how they were able to get him. The FBI, just because the resources that weren't in place for a statewide mm. police force before, just general Aye. observation of one person. See, it was the thing of... It's said in the film, you know, at the time, because it was still... In lots of ways, it was kind of like the old West because there was no like ringing other banks, and you couldn't warn them. The fact, right? There was say there was just for the sake of example, there's two hundred banks nationwide. The fact that they're a crew of eight, uh, they can get cars because they're rich. They can get whatever cars they want. They can't be traced. They can get whatever guns they want, you know, whenever, and they can dump them because they're rich, and they can hit whatever bank they want at any time. And it's said in the film that they have to be at all banks all the time so we can hit whatever fuck bank we want. We might get unlucky, but we can hit whatever bank we want. And that, that was their advantage for a very long time. But then, obviously, what they didn't see coming was the wiretapping thing where the known associates and stuff like that, their pressure started to get put on, like, safe houses. They started to get aware of safe houses. And then, because he was in this rack of tears... They started the what you're saying about uh, developing and do like a technological business. What started to happen was uh, what was common was the rackets of gambling and things like this here, which was coming after the Depression era. You know, uh, like vice, like proper vice, like and uh, not that too. But this was before the real sort of massive oncoming of like not only the Italian but the Irish mob because then uh, in the early kind of 1910s because they were probably f- you know first first generation immigrants, it was only starting to build in America. Aye. So this organised crime wasn't really there at that point. Yeah. But it was about to come around mm. like mm. you know like the thirties and forties. It's a really it's a fucking seriously interesting time as well because a lot of people would go like T V wasn't even that big. It was still the radio, it was still the old wireless, the old uh, TV didn't exist. Zuton, the old Zuton radio. And TV didn't is, exist. Aye. And until you, like the fifties And you see like they go to they go to the cinema for information and uh so like <laughs> Dellinger loved to go to the cinema he went to the cinema all the time and uh, one thing that started to happen as well was that uh, a couple of lines that he said in his bank robberies uh, Clark Gable started to say them in his films and Keagney and Keagney and then uh, so he would uh, <laughs> he would start to steal lines from Gable lines and Keagney and start saying them in his bank robberies and there was just this weird back and forth <laughs> and, and, and then he actually he, he uh Towards the end of his life, he, he shaved his moustache the way Clark Gable had it, the wee thin moustache, the wee pencil tash. And it was just this weird, I don't think they ever met or anything, it was just this weird kind of duality they had where there were two different types of celebrity. And that Again, was interesting. That, that fits on the thing we were talking about, about reality and fiction, just mixing I, I again, just, you know just what I mean? over like, and I, I mean, I read about all this stuff and there's a great book we, we used at, at uni called Movie Made America and it's about, they, they talk about Dylan's and stuff, don't they? But uh, I mean... It's really strange, right? Because Michael Mann has 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 you know he'd done the Insider, right, with Russell Crowe and Al Pacino about the whistleblower, and that was like a pure investigative journalism piece. And he did heat, he did collateral, 
And his strengths are definitely kind of quite modern, energetic, kind of nuanced uh, crime. action, crime kind of films. And then to go back to something like Public Enemies, because he grew up in Chicago, and Chicago's Dillinger's Town, like, and uh, I think I think Man's weakest film, I mean, The Keep, people say that's his weakest film, whatever. That was that was his first film, wasn't it? Uh, no, no, it wasn't his first, was no, it? it was After Thief. That but, was uh, the, the balloon curtains and all that stuff? Aye, aye. Well, I, guess, I just think it's, it was a kind of an experiment I think it's him. just like a romanticised camp sort of horror, like, and it was aye. him just finding his feet. Aye, you know aye, I mean? aye, and aye. as a first, or one of the first ten directors, he's just going to be given a project, and aye, he's still finding his style. But I think a lot of people like this film. But for Michael Mann, I think his weakest one of his weakest is Last of the Mohicans. I, I still I still don't really like it. I don't. It's one of these things where I've said this a few times in the podcast. Is when you get to the end of the film, so do you give a fuck? And I didn't give a fuck. It's completely out of just completely out of character. I think. See, well. there's a there's a. I still like Last of the Mohicans, but it seems like it could have been directed by anybody. It doesn't. Aye. I don't think it's got man's stump mm. whatsoever. Like. But there's a sentimentality with it because. It was the first film he ever saw, the black and white one on the cinema, and that's why he wanted to remake it. He always wanted to remake that. And then there's a sentimentality with uh, Public Enemies because he was always a fan of Dillinger and he used Dillinger's crimes and he sort of bled him and they all of his other scripts. And in ways, I always thought that was the sort of flaw with it. Is, is like, you know, is he too sentimental and is, is he being too stripped or is he too paranoid about telling too much about this character he loved and was he too stripped and all? And I mean, Ultimately, I think it's a really interesting film. I actually was quite underwhelmed at the first time I seen it, but then it's one of these films. There's something about it where I keep coming back to it. Yeah. It's just there's some and Christopher Plummer, who was in uh, Insider, he always says about it, he says no matter what, if you flick over and you see a film, you can straight away say that's a Michael Mann film. You just yeah. know they look at it that that's what it is because there's just there's such a specific energy to his films, and he, he is right. Like I suppose that just kind of goes back to what we talked about before. That was a, a big topic about the sort of auteur thing, and even yourself recently. I mean, obviously, me and Calm are fucking really, really big John Carpenter fans, and you haven't really watched that much John Carpenter. And we kind of recommended like maybe ten or eleven films for you to watch, and then yeah. you said straight away that even if you didn't know that all these films were directed by John Carpenter, like Michael Mann, it's just got a certain look. It's You just know mm. that you're watching. Yeah. And it's a crazy thing. Mm. It is just an amalgamation of every fucking facet of the filmmaking Aye. process combining. So, but Well, it's, it's like even a couple of weeks ago, I was talking about games and you were talking about that Beyond Two Souls and you said that's that's made by the people that made Heavy Rain. Yeah, it's, just it's like you know fuck all about games. Like you just you you've seen that game and you seen that game. It's like that's mm. definitely the same fucking thing. Yeah. I think his biggest criticism of making that film was because it was set in the forties and well, one he shot digitally. He didn't shoot film. Thirties. Uh, thirties. Sorry, mm. he didn't shoot uh, film. He shot digital. That was and a whole big thing at the time, too. It was massive. It was because a big controversy like, over it. Was it not like that? It was, was digital only... and it was handheld. Yeah. Most of it was handheld. But was was that not? I remember this whole big thing, and I remember a lot of people, a lot of critics saying that the best thing about the film, and it was so refreshing, was that big shootout at the lodge, and it's mm. in complete nightfall, Aye. and it's handheld digital. And no fairness, it does that because see the flashes of the gun and stuff. Mm. I remember seeing in the cinema. It was like something that I hadn't seen before. Aye. And I don't know, maybe for the history of film, which is now pretty aye, much predominantly me, digital, aye. it was a stepping stone. Every time somebody goes well, back and makes one of these films, they do it. I mean, apart from like the cameras like the RLX and I, which, which does react, you know, the sensor reacts quite like film. 
that was before like the RLX oh. and stuff I mean because Roger Deakins uses the LX and that's like the, you sh- they shot True Grit and stuff like that there so you can see that it has a film look to it but before that I think I don't know what exact camera I think you might have shot it on there's a camera called the Phantom that they shot Collateral on mm-hmm. which has a digital look at night and stuff but I think it's a bit cleaner than that but at the same time it is quite digitally and remember the first time I seen it I was kind of just going oh fuck I would have loved if that was a steady shot mm-hmm. I would have loved if that was just a crane shot I would have loved it but that's not Michael Mann Michael Mann is a, he says I don't want a film to look like it's in the 30s he says I want the film to feel like you're in the 30s you know and I want, I want those sounds of those guns to be like fucking cannon fire yeah. I want it mm-hmm. to go like you're in the middle of the street you're going to the shop and I want it to sound like fucking cannon fire was was Collateral not the first film to be shot completely digitally, though? I thought I minded hearing that about that film. I don't know. No, I don't know. It was one of them, definitely. Aye, Espe- yeah. Especially at like night. He's a big fucking... He's a big, he's no, a big, he's a big tech, technological like, kind yeah, of guy. Yeah. Like, I, oh, 100%. H- him and Nolan would be fucking loggerheads with each other. Because I thought you were going to say him and Nolan's no, together. It's like, no, 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 no one's going to believe it. Nolan would be, obviously. He, he's, no, they're good friends and stuff. But he's a purveyor of kind of keeping... Film, you know what I mean? And actually, Tar- did, Tarantino was as well of keeping film. Did you ever, did you ever watch that documentary? I, I've never actually seen it myself, but I, I always thought it was an interesting idea. It was Kenny Reeves actually produced it. Side uh, by side. Aye, did you mm. ever actually it's watch it? Chat about that before. Right? I know. I've always wanted to watch it. It's amazing. It's, it's just, really, it's just different. It's just directors talking. Aye, about you get Christopher Nolan and David Fincher, and you get a lot of really big directors talking. No, it's a really good documentary. Recommendation. <laughs> but even uh, just just to summarize it on public enemies. Public enemies. I mean, um, it's one of it's one of these things where I, I think you get more out of the film if you know about the time period. As as a standalone thriller, I think you're kind of going, "What's that about? What's this about?" Because um, Michael Mann expected like Pretty Boy Floyd. I uh, Pretty Boy Floyd, who was one of the Dillinger's crew, he gets shot in the opening sequence, and you only, you only know he's kind of. You know, I think he just—I think he just calls him Floyd. Yeah. And then the only reason you know it's Pretty Boy Floyd is because what? What you know? Like I knew it was Pretty Boy Floyd. Shannon Tatum. It's Shannon Tatum. He's only in our first sequence. Like I thought you were joking because he's a Pretty Boy. But it's Shannon Tatum. The only reason you know is because that that present scene in Indiana, and he goes, "Oh, you're the boy, Pretty Boy Floyd." But I knew it was Floyd because I knew that was one of his crew, and then obviously it becomes his infamous name of boxers. Then after, so on the mean you've discussed so many times before, and the fact that. Michael Mann, I think, uh, old enough, we were talking about exposition earlier on, and I think Michael Mann went the complete opposite route and didn't give an exposition, and he kind of assumed that... I kind of respect it, too, I, I, I respected it, but at the same time, I think he shot himself in the foot. He could have given at least a wee bit. I think that he stripped it back that much yeah. and didn't give any exposition whatsoever that, fair enough, me and you, unbel- not only unbelievably interested in Michael Mann, but even on a personal level, I am ridiculously interested Aye. in that period of American history Aye. and I think that having somebody like Pretty Boy Floyd even if you would have had a slight bit of exposition mm. like me and you knew the sort of gravity of that character but it would have mm. been lost in everybody else and that's why it kind of stuck on me actually one of my favourite dying lines on cinema is Pretty Boy Floyd in the first 20 minutes or whatever of Public Enemies is running through a film first 10 first 10 mm. and he's nailed by a fucking G-man I know, idea Christian Bale. It's Christian actually Bale, purpose yeah, from a fucking distance, and he catches up with him, and he's lying there, and he's all, "God, I, I think you just killed me," and then he just fucking dies. I, I've always thought that it's a really kind of natural line because he's lying Aye. there panicking and freaking out, and then Aye. he just croaks it. But See, I don't know. it's one of these things too, right? We're, we're, I mean, heat is amazing because of how vague it is. Mm. 
Mm. You know, he's like, the was kind of going, I was in prison, uh, whatever, I, I brought up in the Bay Area. I think I've got a brother somewhere. See, that works, and it's like, that works because it's not based on It's not a real actual, character. Uh, it's, it's not a real so, character. But I think he tried to do that, but to give that to the viewer, and then somebody goes, oh, how this existed? And then, but, I mean, Christopher explained it to me in such a way that he goes, right, the first time I heard the writer Spring, Mr. Vinsky, he's all like, I thought it was Grant, not there. But he says, there was something about it kept bringing me back to it. And he says, he thinks that's the mark of a great piece. Mm. Is that it brings you back every now and again and you just notice more and more. And the more and more I watch Public Enemies, the more and more I notice it. And the more I read about it, the more I notice things in it. But, you know, it's like, even the boy that actually kills Dillinger, uh, the guy... It's fucking from Avatar. What do you call him again? Uh, Stephen Lang. I Stephen Lang from Avatar. He shows oh, yeah. he shows up about halfway through it because um, Purvis Christian Bale's character has organized all these guys, but they're just not. They just don't have they're the not fucking, ruthless enough. Uh, they're not ruthless. They don't have a tenacity, and it, it's even said in the last scene that Purvis had the shot on Dillinger and he didn't take it. He didn't want to shoot someone in the back. Where's your man? Uh, dead because <laughs> another thing about your man is that he was just done taking down Bonnie and Clyde and that's why they got him he was just ruthless and so that's why they got him to come after well. Dellinger well. and that's not, I mean you don't know that in the film but I, that's that's who he is like. and it's weird as well because uh, mm. if you actually look at that character who is now like a footnote in history because he's not really propped up that much because in a weird way the American people seen Dillinger and Bonnie and Clyde as like sort of anti-heroes and then it's, I think, a wee bit depressing or but they come down, they know that the person that killed all three of them is the same boy. And I think, personally, that's why he's a footnote in history. Because you know about Purvis. You, mm. know about, you know about Hoover. And, like, they're big quests. But you're, I can't even remember his name. But the boy who actually took out the three of them is a footnote. And I personally think that that's maybe a wee bit of revised history because mm. people like to see those outlaws as heroes. And, mm. in a way, vicariously live through them. Like, Aye. oh, fuck, you know, we, we could have done that, but Aye. we kind of loved in poverty. And I think that's why he's kind of relegated. They n- nobody fucking knowing him, like, you know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, I'll say a couple of final things about Public Enemies. I mean, it's... I'm not going to tell you the end. I don't know how they got there. I mean, if you don't know the John Dillinger, I'm not going to destroy a fee, but... Um, the, the, the film, <laughs> the film is like he peppered. Lived out his days. The film's peppered <laughs> with big, big cast. Like, <laughs> uh, it's peppered with massive cast. I mean, you've got alongside Christian Bale and Johnny Depp, you've got Marion Coulthard as you know as John Dillinger's love interest. Uh, you've got Giovanna Ribisi. You've got um, who else have you got? You've got what do you call Jan Tatum, Stephen Graham. Stephen Graham Stephen as Mary. Babyface Nelson. Uh, you've got what do you call him as Jay Edgar, uh, Billy Crudup. That's right, Billy Crudup. <laughs> fucking Jay- me and Mickey's favourite. Love favorites. that guy. Love uh, him so much. Like he's, the, he's all, the man who's all, We are forming our first army on crime. Like, no, no it's like he does that pure fucking TV job. It's really funny. Honestly, like. I think it should be like a, like a, a per episode thing that we say it, but... And we'll just literally leave it at this. How did Billy Crudup not become a leading man? I'm gonna see one of the finest choices. He didn't want choices. Exactly. He didn't want exactly. choices. That's what I like. They think he didn't want. Ah, it's the talents and the choices. Like he's he really, a he just went for it. Fucking astonishing like. actor. And what do you what do you call Doctor Manhattan? Fuck, I always forget Dr. the boy's Manhattan. name because he's in Big Fish. He's ended up being in like nearly all of Michael Mann's films now since he was in. You know, do you remember Carlito's Way? Yep. 
Do you know Carlito was wee cousin that gets fucking his throat slit in the like one of the opening sequences? Don't know. He's just all. Oh yeah. He's just all, I'm just doing a bit of light work for Senor Pablo Cabrales right there, and then he's just all like, uh, he's all that's thirty grand, and he has that wee stupid laugh. He's all, <laughs> <laughs> and then they go, and then uh, they go into that club, the, the the pool room scene. Yeah. I know you're the pool room scene in Carlito's way. The fucking famous shot of Carlito. No, I, I know you I know the scene, scene, but it's his wee cousin. He says your boss is dead, and so are you. And then he gets his throat slit. It's him. Yeah. He's he is like uh, he's one of the organizers, John Dellinger's organizers, uh, who turns against him and goes under the rackets. And he's also in Miami Vice. He's the boy at Burns, uh, Colin Farrell and Jimmy Fox. And he's I, don't know, I can't remember the actor. Uh, I can't remember he's, he's Hispanic he's, he's, he's fucking really good and I think Michael Mann's the only person that's kind of keep yeah, continuously giving him roles like but oh, um, also just going back to it I personally think that Spotlight wouldn't have won Best Picture Boy Billy Crudup being on it for about two minutes I, I agree know, actually. <laughs> no no because property he plays that smarmy lawyer but I like how they no but he can I slips it no, too I, no, exa- no but that's exa- that's no, thing he, no Heron's right I like how they subvert that because he seems like a slimeball fucking lawyer at the start but then when he actually goes to the fucking spotlight and just explains why he has to be this way. I know, I know that's what I'm saying. Like, he plays it perfectly then. Oh, he's mm. just fucking class. He's fucking He should have about yeah. fucking 20 Oscars at this point. Anyway, mm. gonna summer, uh, wrap up uh, my own public enemies. Right. I mean, uh, it's an enjoyable watch. I mean, you, you can watch it as a thriller. It's, it's a very interestingly paced film. Uh, <laughs> no, it, it it's is a very though, interesting way to put that. <laughs> no, it, it is because I mean, obviously, he's trying to Michael Mann's a stickler for detail. You know, so much so that there's a prison that John Dillinger broke out of in real life, and they don't know what exactly he put in the guards' back. A bar of soap or something. They thought it was a bar of soap that was shaped in a gun, or it was a piece of wood shaped in a gun. No, it was a potato. It was a potato. No, but nobody knows really. Aye. But he put it in his back, and they reshot in the real prison. Of how he did it. So he got into one room, he took a gun off a guy, and they got into the second, and they got into the third, and he had a couple of other boys helping him. Mm. But they went into the old prison, which was a derelict building, and they made it up again and did the real moves of how he did it, and they did it like in an unbroken take. And it's like, it's just that kind of stuff, and the following, it kind of yeah. kind of puts hairs in the back. <laughs> You're kind of going, fucking hell, this is fucking really cool. But I, as, it's as you saying, like, the more you know about it, the more you get out of the The following. more you know it, the more you enjoy it. Like, I mean, the opening sequence, like, I just, I'll say, one, it's your man. What do you call him from fucking uh, uh, Zero Dark Thirty as well, the torture boy, what do you call him? He's John Connor. Jason Clark. He's his doctor. He's oh, That's him, that's so him as well. Like, Jason Clark. Like, the opening sequence of Public Enemies is when you know what happened is one of the coolest fucking things it, it still is cool but you're kind of going what the fuck he walks he was he just broke out of prison two weeks before it he he walks back into a prison with his friend handcuffed they think he's been they caught him and they're bringing him back but what happens it's a prison break mm. and so he gets into the room and he says uh something like fucking you know, somebody, the people call me John, but I'm not going to let you fucking call me John because you're a fucking pig and this kind of thing. They're like, what the fuck and all? And then it all kicks off. And so they pretty much break in and hold all the guards fucking hostage. And while that's happening, they had a time that the boys from the inside, there was a message sent, broke out from the other side. And so it was just this fucking really badass breakout. <laughs> After two, just two weeks getting out of prison, 
he goes, he breaks back into prison, he breaks his fucking mentor out and all, and this is like the opening of the film, I was like, this yeah. is fucking, but and I'll, it's, and it's not be... overplayed, it's not really big, yeah. it's really, it's all handheld and all, so and it's so not it overdone. because they're literally recreating something that actually happened. Aye. So why overplay And so like, it? they're all running away, all these prison boys, and Dylan's just walking back, cam as fuck, just shooting a Tommy going up at the thing and all, and you're like, you know, the first time I've seen it in the cinema, I was like, this is cool, and it's just... Because it happens so matter-of-factly, sometimes you don't go, that's just, that's just like one of those badass things I've ever seen. But I think the more I, I see it, I'm going, oh, that's fucking classic. But, <laughs> but you, that, you know, that is man playing up the fact that, like we've said so many times tonight, it was fact, nothing to him. fact a stranger in fiction. Aye, and it was nothing to him. It was nothing to do. He's like, fuck it, let's do it. And I'll get on then our prison, I'll break it out as well. It's the perfect you know? introduction. Mm. It's the perfect introduction of just how mad that time period was in American history. Aye. That I, this shit actually happened. Yeah, you just get I, on no, the wire, but, but no, they but were in a like, car and they just fucked mm. off. And they're it's like, the, it's oh, the fact us. that he's he's not shitting in a way that oh, this is so badass. It's just shitting it in really weird way. This is not just this it's is a like, way of life. It's yeah, like a thing, like you know, it's thing like De Niro said in Ronan. You know, when when Sean Sean Bean's just all uh, what kind of guns he like on us here and all. De Niro's just oh, it's a tool you put it in the box. It's a tool for the job, and that's it. Actually, you, you've you've done this Come before, on. but you actually do the impression. Do the impression. No, 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 no. No, do it because it was excellent last time. Come on, take it. No, but. I just yeah, I want to put the back. But that's yeah, a dare. Yeah, yeah, totally. You put it in the box. <laughs> but, uh, whatever. You I don't see it in your Facebook. <laughs> uh, there's that, and then but that that bleeds into the way Jason Bourne is. What is calls about House of Hellfire? There's nothing sensational about Jason Bourne. You know, I mean, there are sensational things about it, but the best parts of Jason Bourne are is he just does it. You know, he just does it. Mm. He, there's no. There's no big fucking money gun sitting around the corner. It's just mm-hmm. he does it because it's a survival thing, and that's what Dillinger is. It's not sensationalized. That's the best thing I can say with public enemies. It's not sensationalized, almost to a fault. But at the same time, mm-hmm. you know, the more I watch it, the more I see more in it, and the more I, I really, I really engage with. It. And I watched it with Surround Sound for the first time recently. It was fucking unreal. The, the way you're, the way you're, <laughs> the way you're kind of talking about it though, it it brings a mad reference to my head that it was when I was watching football for some mad reason. Football, <laughs> shape ball, eh? But uh, no, I think it was Argentina were playing. I in, personally love football. In, so. in one of, yeah, in one of the World Cups. <laughs> And, uh, and one of those World Cups that they do every now and again. Uh, it's every it's every couple of those, years or something. The big games that they do. One of them big games. They do it every but few the, years. The, but the commentator said that because Ar- Ar- Argentina were just constantly in possession of the ball and they were just passing it back back and forth. Doesn't one yeah match them? No, no. But the commentator said that Argentina is so good it's boring. <laughs> it's like, yeah. If it's already nice. I am so tempted to go into the definition of tiki taka football, but <laughs> it would be completely out of sync with this podcast, so I'm not going to do it. No, but it just it kind of it it just kind of resonated with me that obviously they're clearly amazing at football that they can hold possession and do whatever they're doing, but and play they, they, they actually just watch it as like this is actually fucking boring. I'm not saying that public enemies mm, is boring, mm. but that. Man knows the stuff so well, and he's being aye. so subtle, and he's See, he's doing it in aye. such a way that if you don't know what he's doing, aye. it can kind of pop people what? off. Just two seconds. See, for somebody you haven't seen Public Enemies, have you? I have seen. Public oh, right, Enemies. Have, well, fair enough. You have seen Public Enemies, but, but see, for somebody that has no interest and no knowledge of football, I think that is a fucking sparkling analogy. <laughs> 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 that is a fucking right. That analogy with bells that on there. <laughs> <laughs> that was the Christmas tree of analogies right there. Like, like shadows, it was due while ago. But it, I, I, I would just say watch. I mean, because I'll say quickly as well. Michael Mann tends to always uh, direct characters that are um, very precision 
driven characters like you know like Neil McCullough. a lot of them are just like just the list goes on John Dellinger wasn't he was mm. taking risks fucking flat out and it, it, it sort of that's what makes him kind of enjoyable but I think maybe they should have done him a wee bit wilder yeah just a wee bit wilder I mean that opening scene is white when you think about what he actually did in that op- that that uh, that thing because that actually happened as well yeah. fucking mad conflict you know <laughs> fucking wild man, man hey. wild man that boy wild man we had drinking him hey but, uh, <laughs> you know and, uh, wild man we had depression around like <laughs> no but there's like an urgency to it as well and it's just I, I just I don't know I think I think it was because I don't like Michael Mann because he's such a precise director and he makes films by precise characters I think I don't think he can do really unhinged characters unless he's an actor kind of going and doing their thing like Wayne Grove or something like that there he is a character who is mad and kind of I think uh, that's that's where I think Michael Mann kind of uh, where his talent stops a wee bit is that he doesn't he can't direct like mantic characters he directs precise characters very very well precise characters with a precise goal I think I, he's like he has some of his parts and that's if a character maybe is not too complex, but if even a secondary character has to do something that's outside of his knowledge, then mm-hmm. he doesn't really know mm-hmm. how to construct that. Or Aye. not construct it, but he doesn't really know Aye. how to maybe talk to like that chaos. actor and kind of get that Aye. performance like, out Ma- there. Michael Mann, when's the last time Michael Mann shot chaos? He just he doesn't shoot yeah. chaos. I mean, the shootout scene in Heat, I suppose, is, is chaos, I suppose. And for me as well, I mean... No, and, but there's and, a precision in that. There's a precision well. in it that, 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 that the, you know, the, the precision guys just cut right through it, it, all it, of it. It is precision. They cut it, through, because most of the boys shooting at them are going, yeah. fuck it hell, and the boys that are winning this are trained fucking yeah. guys, like, so exactly they're just right. getting think, right through it. I think mm. a lot of times it is precision, and don't get me wrong, he's done so many well-rounded characters, like Macaulay, like Vincent Hanna and Heat, like, uh, I can't remember uh, Russell Crowe's character's name in the inside. Jeffrey Wigand. Jeffrey Wigand. But he can do well-rounded characters, but because of that precision, and a lot of people say this about Fincher sometimes, he doesn't go that step further and doesn't really delve on the character. He has saw in his head that he thinks mm. suits the narrative, suits like, the plot. Like the mise-en-scene, yeah. everything represents... Yeah, it that. represents yeah, 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 yeah. Saw, and he maybe doesn't... He has an idea in his head of where he wants that actor to go and doesn't maybe give the actor a bit of freedom or give the actor something that he can mm. kind of go on with. But anyway, Michael Mann, Public Enemies. Give it a watch. Um, I would say if you're just a fucking avid film watcher, um, if you enjoyed the first time, brilliant. If you don't, just like me, just someone kept sticking with me about that film, and I've kept I've seen it about four or five times now, probably more than that actually. And uh, it, I always find something that I like in it, and it's it, it's a mark of a great director, no matter what film you watch you know even if it's weaker or stronger you'll always find something that you that that is that is uh interesting in it and i think probably got i think probably get him is probably his most interesting film this week i watched sue sue suicide squad <laughs> good song anyway as a shite which i've been hearing is a that, lot is that subo's next album <laughs> subo suicide squad um it's uh, it's not great to be honest with you there's it it feels like there's a better film in there because it, uh, it, it's there's some there's some nice stuff in there like obviously if you don't know Suicide Squad is the 
the next film in the DC expanded universe of all their fairness, comic people books. Are, 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 people are listening to this podcast and have not heard of Suicide Squad. Well, <laughs> it's always good to explain, though. It's so always good to explain. Man, it's man, 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 very professional stunts. It's been 10 years. What the fuck's... All right, okay. That's that film that ruined comic book films. They never, <laughs> made, they never made another one again. That was a final <laughs> But it's still... Oh, no, go ahead. Yeah. But yeah, so it's the next in the DC films, so it's it's fallen on after the events of Batman v Supes, which they do address, and it's it's kind of nice the way they kind of... Like Bats, is it only? I, he, he makes a wee cameo. There's is not a wee cameo from, Actually, from someone else. Is Soup's in it? Uh, well, I, uh, I won't say. Is it just say, fucking uh, tell me? Uh, Go on. No, no. I'm not going to watch it. No, though. no, I'm not going to tell you. So. You'll definitely end up watching it at some point. Like, you definitely will. You're oh. interested, I'll get the battery. Because oh, even me, I've heard it shit, and I still want to see it. I still haven't seen Batman versus fucking Affleck, like, <laughs> or whatever you call it. But yeah, Batman does make a cameo, and there's another wee cameo in there that some people might enjoy. It's it's nice to see him pop up, but it's fairly ir- irrelevant. Like. It's it's just it's just kind of nice to see that they are trying to kind of blend the films so and make, make it a universe. Like. Sound like you were talking about the Shanks Life for a moment. <laughs> it's nice to see him pop up, but you know it's kind of relevant. Yeah. Oh, nice new blend them in the day. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, just just reactions. just to your just to remind you there. Aye. But like, oh, <laughs> no. you're like, oh fuck, I should forgot you. But yeah, so it stars Will Smith as Deadshot and uh, Margot Robbie. Deadshot, sorry, as uh, Harley Quinn and Jared Leto as the Joker and Jai Courtney as Captain Boomerang. Wasn't that reason he meant to be Tom Hardy? No, Tom Hardy was supposed to be Rick Flag, that is now played by Joel Kinnaman. Rick Flag. Rick Flag. <laughs> My name is Liam Flag. And all fairness, and all fairness, that's up every fucking detective John Book, like you know what I mean. <laughs> oh, I, even though I love Witness, still one of the worst names so. in cinema history. And uh, John, uh, John Book. That's that's fucking Ford. name Book. And uh, Viola Davis as well plays Amanda Waller, the constructor of the Suicide Squad. Oh, yeah, she does. I. But yeah, they, like we put him in a hole and threw away the hole. hole. <laughs> I, I actually, I actually kind of yeah. like that. Like, there's some god awful dialogue in this film, but that, I think that's one, one of the higher few. With the patsies. <laughs> Sorry, that's that's an awful one. Oh the no, patsies. there's there's literally lines. So what? We're some kind of Suicide Squad. I don't drop. This Will Smith stares at the camera for about five minutes. <laughs> <laughs> Just counting money. <laughs> Got 30 yeah. Mulfish. Yeah, camera moves away and does a Batman Returns and just goes up and Will's still staring at it just <laughs> for like five minutes and then the film ends. See, and I know we keep interrupting you and I will Sorry. let you... No, yeah. I will, I will what he called, I will let you make your point now, but just one thing, and it actually kind of spurs on from something that you said a while back where you think that the star system's dead. I thought that the casting in this film is very, very interesting in its own right because Will Smith, who is an absolute superstar... He not only is doing an ensemble piece, but he is not in any of the promotional material. You know, had his name massive on the poster, and then you know all these other kind of mm. sick. Because all the other actors, Margot Robbie's kind of coming on their own now, and she's becoming a star. I don't think she's like a household massive right. star, but Will Smith is still Will Smith, and I think it kind of it kind of justifies what you were saying that maybe the star system uh, or house star at least is dying out of it because yeah. it's just a couple of years back you would have never seen him do a role like that you know a Will Smith film would be a Will Smith film like I am legend Aye. he's the main character so even the fact that he took a role like this is very very interesting I, think, I mean I don't know if he said it but apparently at the time he turned down Django Unchained because he thought Christoph Waltz was the lead fuck and it, or, or no it, it's because it, it's he, he kills the bad guy 
Christoph Waltz mm. kills it was something spoilers like for Django and Jane. Uh, okay. But, <laughs> but no, it was something I, like that. I know he said to Quentin Tarantino, it's like, oh well, oh well. Th- I think he says like, oh, this guy's the main character, obviously, because he kills the bad guy. He's like, I'm if I'm Django, Django kills the bad guy, mm. and yeah. that's why he wasn't Django. Uh, it's just very, very interesting because thing. I mean, because he obviously knows how the star systems work. But I mean, Last Man in Black did it do well. Just about I, made it. I don't. Made I don't it's like my it back. I think. I actually enjoyed it. I liked it. I love Man in Black. You know. I, I know. I, I enjoyed the third one. I just found it very interesting because Will Smith. I would say he's one of the actors, saying the likes of Tom Cruise, Brad Pitt, Johnny Depp, whatever else, who can open a film, and it's always going to be his. And they, I mean, like they always say about how big an actor's pull is that if his or her name is bigger on the poster than the actual Aye. title of the film. Yeah, can mm. you hang a film on them now? Aye, exactly. And I mean, like, Will Smith is one of, well, was one of those boys and maybe this is a sign. Well, maybe, maybe we're over-speculating. But maybe maybe no, but he just genuinely wanted to do the project. Maybe he was interested. But I just think it's a very peculiar move for himself. Considering the fact Jesus. that he's been on the back of a couple of flops. Like, but did you know like, that? After Earth. He had After Earth. He had Concussion. Focus. Con- concussion. Focus. He, he was in fucking that New York... A Winter's, Winter's Tale. Tale, a Winter's Tale as, as well. I think was he, was Lucifer, he the Lucifer. They, they just called him Lou in it, but he was. Aye, that was more. That, that was more a cameo, really. Like, aye, it's, I suppose it was, but it was, it was still, you know, it was an interesting. Mm-hmm. You know, what way did he pick that but, kind of thing? In and fairness, he's, he's on a bit of a, as, as we called, he's on a bit of a dip room. He's 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 on a, uh, he's on the fucking stringy a couple of flaps. Like what apparently, age is he? 50? I think he's forty-eight now. Forty-eight, so he's getting up there. Like, see, it's weird. I think actors have a great like. You know, if if they're kid actors, they have a good sort of period, and then their twenties is kind of shit. But see, Will Smith never had up. that. No, well, I know, I know. Will Smith was sort of an anomaly. He always seemed to be successful. You know, Aye. no matter no, but what. He, he, he did, stuff, he did everything right though to make himself a movie star. You know what I mean? Aye. Like, cause like even like with Independence Day and stuff like that was his star making role, and but he was changing it up from like different kinds of roles as well, mm. and. He seemed to kind of have some sort of handbook of this is how you become a movie star because yeah. he kind of seemed to do everything right. Because uh, a lot of people said for a just long a time, too, like, uh, as well. a lot yeah, of people said for a long time that he was nigh on flawless. Like he was because even Cruise went through a rough period, and it seems like Cruise has got it back now. Well, like seeing Mission Impossible and that, but um, they were saying for a long time that Will Smith was the only one who never seemed to have a fucking flop. You know what I mean? Yeah. He seemed to be kind of unbelievably consistent with getting people into the cinemas. But then, obviously, in the past, well, well, after Earth was like fucking three years ago now. Yeah. Since after Earth, it's been kind of going downhill a wee bit. But even even just on a basic level of growing up and watching Will Smith as a superstar and opening films and being the main character, even seeing him having to mm. share screen time, uh, not only having to share he's screen time, Neo for fuck's sake, yeah. you know what I mean? But uh, even having to share screen time, we it's it's not like he's sharing screen time with fucking household name massive actors. He's sharing screen time with. A lot of fucking newcomers. He's the biggest actor on it. Aye, exactly. He's the biggest actor. Well, next to Jared Leto, he's the biggest actor on it, really. Mm. I don't know. It's, it's, ben it's Affleck awful, for eh? five seconds, whatever. Mm. Aye, well, Mar- Margot Robbie's she's a rising star, but she she she's up there quick. Like, I mean, like Wolf of Wall Street. It was what her second film after About Time or yeah. something, and that just rocketed her, and they like stardom straight I, away. It's like. actually kind of strange. I mean. And if you think about Wolf of Wall Street, she's she's not really a main character. I think collectively, she's amazing on it though. She's she's absolutely brilliant on it, and she gets that whole vixen and how she controls uh, Leo. Aye. Unbelievably, she nails that, and you know it should have been a star making role. But in a three hour film, I would say she's probably in it for about twenty five minutes, half an hour. Like, mm. but even at that, I mean, if you look at her filmography now, I think if you go on her IMDb page, just looking at films, I think she's only done like fucking six films or something. Well, and then it was Home and Away or whatever was it was. In... She was in Focus of Wall Smith. She was in Focus of Wall Smith. Yeah. She was in About Time. She was obviously in Suicide Squad, Wolf of Wall Street. I'm sure you you keep talking about it and I'll check her IMDb page. Yeah. Um. Well, Will Smith in the film. It's it's kind of the first time in a while he's 
just been kind of doing the Will Smith thing. Like he's just been kind of cool and yeah. just kind of just doing his whole kind of shtick. And it's the first time you see him do it in a while, and it's kind of nice to see it because oh, is he sort of comedic in it? Oh, aye, like he, he has a bit of crack. I'm like, aye. oh, nice one. Because he, aye, he's, he, like his his character Deadshot, he's like the world's greatest assassin. Like he never misses and all. Here, kind of crack. But yeah, no, he's 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 a cool dude. Like he's just pure Will Smith. There's a there's a really naff bit though where it's kind of like a flashback to him with his daughter because the whole thing is like he has a he has a daughter in it, so that makes you like him basically. Yeah, but he's literally walking. See the moral core of the thing? No, not really. Yeah. Well, you see that that's the kind of problem with like they're trying to put it off as they're all bad guys, but then as a traditional kind of storytelling thing, they try and make you relate to them or kind of give them some kind of emotional arc that oh they're not that bad really when really but then they're still trying to present them as bad guys and it's just it's kind of fighting with itself to what it actually wants to do like just very quickly as well to interject about margot robbie and just kind of showing how green she is or like she's got say hello to a new era of mental health care cerebral is here to help you achieve your mental wellness goals with professional therapy and medication management support 100% 100% online. You'll experience the all-new Cerebral Way, an innovative approach to mental wellness designed around you. You'll get a personalized treatment plan from a therapist, prescriber, or both in a safe and judgment-free space. Your Cerebral therapist or prescriber will outline a customized plan with clear milestones along the way, so you can get to feeling your best. With Cerebral, you're not alone in your mental health journey. We're here to empower you to live a fulfilling life. So take that first step towards a brighter future and sign up today at Cerebral.com slash podcast and use code ACAST to get 15% off your first month. Offer only valid on monthly plans. Other exclusions may apply. Offer ends July 31st, 2024. See site for details. Hey, everyone. I've been on the go recently. Phoenix, Kansas City, Chicago. If you're like me and have a home but aren't always at home, you have an Airbnb. Hosting your home or a spare room is a very practical side hustle. If you live in a big game town, you can Airbnb your place for fans to stay in. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at Airbnb.com slash post. Join us today during the Jeep Celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of 15178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe. Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer incentive offers. 15178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe and Summit 4xe models in dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark. A small filmography she has been in 11 films uh she's got two to be released so say 13 but one of those films is the big short which is essentially a oh, yeah, kind of so 10 films she's had yeah. which is crazy but anyway continue but yeah so well will smith's gonna margot robbie's gonna like she plays hardy quinn well and uh, like all the performances it's kind of a similar thing to batman versus man like all the all the performances are good in it it's just more down to the story and the the just the way they're presenting the characters mm-hmm. like like Hardy Hardy Quinn she's supposed to be 
mad in love with the Joker and she's supposed to be mental and it's because he tur- he tortured her basically and they love he her. Was, he was her. She was her psychologist. Aye, she, aye, she was his doctor and then she she ends up well he tortures her and they love him like. But they they kind of change that up a bit, and that she like she kind of falls in love with the Joker before that, and then he breaks out and tortures her anyway, which is weird. He's just a bad guy. But yeah, they. I I wasn't I wasn't in love with Jared Leto's Joker. It was fine, but the way they present him, he's just kind of like a standard mob boss. Like with the stuff he's actually doing, is he's just kind of like a mob boss, and then. The way he's kind of acting, I it's a bit weird or whatever. But you never really, you, you never really feel creeped out or scared by uh, him. At not, any, he's he's get under your skin, and it he's he never really does anything funny either. I mean, like like with Heath Ledger's Joker or Jack Nicholson's Joker, like there's funny bits to them as well. Yeah. Like the the magic trick with the pencil, the pencil. and stuff, like that's or even just uh, Jack's whole performance of just being yeah. Jack and being uh, mad, like. or the uh, when he shakes the hand and all. There's because the, he's he, he's a clown. Nah, he's Do you know what I mean? Yeah, a clown like. But that's that's the thing. Like you, you should be scared and laughing at him at the same time, kind of See, thing. And just Jared just seems to be going for creepy. Uh, there's there's one moment where he's he's talking to Ike Barinhold, who if you know him from Bad Neighbors, he's Seth Rogen's friend. Oh, yeah, in that yeah, yeah, yeah. He's he's like a prison guard. Also in it. wrote Central Intelligence. Did he? I I know, I, I, I like him. I think he's I funny. Really he's like he's on the Mindy Project as well. He's he, funny. Uh, he's been kind of floating about American TV for years, and mm. it just seems like now he's kind of getting this, this sort of shot at film. But anyway, go ahead. But yeah, like, uh, the Joker's talking to him, and he gets him to, like, say something to him, or he gets him to, like, kiss his hand or something like an air. And Joker's just staring really serious at him, and then, like, he kisses his hand or does, and I can't 100% remember what he does. But then just Joker shows, oh, I can tell you meant that. And it was just kind of funny. And that's the one glimpse you get of him being a bit funny. Uh, yeah. And so I, was, I wasn't I was crazy about him because he has the laugh as well. He it's, does he does the laugh about three or four times he, in the film. Even from the trailer, it just sounds not only so gritting, but not in a creepy way. It just sounds like one of those wee Weasley friend of a friend that you have that you really don't like. And they just that nasally sort of, you just want to fucking smack them, but not in a good way. I, well, I don't really have a problem with the laugh itself. I do think it's like a bit creepy or whatever. But when they use the laugh, but when they use the laugh, it's it never really sees like it never seems like there's a point in him laughing. Mm-hmm. It just seems like they're putting it in. Oh, because he's the Joker, so right. we're going to end so the scene with him oh, laughing. Yeah. You know what I mean? The Joker does stuff like this. Let's fucking crowbar it in there. Plus, oh. I mean, the film, from what I hear, has been chopped. They fucking bits. Well, yeah. You what know, I heard is so they might have just threw the laugh in as in oh we'll throw that laugh in there. Whereas in his performance, there might have been a reason for it previous. Do you know what I mean? Mm. And well, like, that... apparently, apparently a, like, like a serious amount of the Joker was cut out. I know. I heard that because it was originally like a, they wanted it to be an R. And then, uh... well, you see, that's that's another thing I kind of felt in it that even even the backstory with Hardy Quinn and the Joker, it should have been way more fucked up than what it is. Yeah, and the the way they've done the Joker as well that they've at, they've actually done it that the Joker loves Hardy Quinn, which isn't the way it never. It's not it, really no. It's no, supposed no. to be she's in love with him and he treats her like shit I and just think. uses it when it benefits him. I like I'm all up for like I don't really give a shit if they're changing characters stuff in comic books. And stuff like that. Like I'm not beholden to what's in the comic books, but 
just when you have the Joker actually in love with Harley Quinn, that's I think actually a com- the original is actually a quite a complex and sophisticated thing. No, that what you're saying now is really unsophisticated. It's just shit. Yeah. But I think I think it just fundamentally changes the character of the Joker. That yeah. he, the fact that he can have love for someone. Yeah, he's, a, he's, he's supposed to be a complete and utter sociopath, incapable of any sort of affection or love for anybody. Like yeah, and and like he, even if you take it back to the dark dark night, like they say, oh, he just wants to watch the world burn. And the the way I always kind of thought of the Joker in my head, anyway, maybe right or wrongly, like based on like previous comics or whatever, is like he is that kind of anarchy character. But but he's also a coward in the sense that he'll always throw people in front of, of himself yeah, yeah, to, yeah, yeah, yeah. to protect himself. Uh, and he's that's, not a fighter. He's, he's a he's a he's a brain. A mastermind, Aye. exactly. Aye. And so I just think the fact that he's putting himself at risk for Harley kind of goes against the fundamental essence of what I thought the Joker was. Do you know what that reminds me of? And this is a, a fucking very strange parallel, but do you, mind the, do you mind the first, or I, I'm not, I can't remember if it was the first or second Resident Evil film that came out, and obviously every single one of them are shite. I absolutely love Resident well. Evil 3. No, I absolutely <laughs> love Resident Evil 3 when I was a kid, We Nemesis and stuff like that. Remember when they humanised Nemesis in the fucking second one, and they give Nemesis emotions and stuff like that, even though he is supposed to be just... A fucking constructed this was a monster, what? and I think it's Resident Evil Two. The film is that okay. the apocalypse. Resident Possibly, Evil apocalypse? Yeah, where Nemesis. Are. I don't think I ever seen that. One. I think it was around the time I was going through a big Nemesis fanboy thing, and it just really fucked me off. But that sounds like the exact same thing. Like given the Joker emotions. See one thing, right? If I ever get the chance, they fucking knock heads with a fucking producer of a big film like that. There, they're going. Oh no, we cut this down for this release. Uh, 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 release both. Mm. Release the twelve one and the fucking narrator one. Now that's puts the audience in. Still going to the same company. It doesn't really. Still going to the same company. I mean, because no, no, I don't think it would give. We know that the real ones, the narrated one, which the kids can't get to see. But you're kind of going, right? Well, we'll let we'll show them. We'll show them. I, I, I don't know though I mean like for me I, I know I, for I, art's, I, I, art's I, sake I, I know but I mean it's just from, but I mean for me it shows like a, a like a I wouldn't say artistic credibility but it kind of for me shows I would see it as a very cynical thing like they're just trying to oh we don't really know what to do with this film or what they make it so we'll just release kind of two hashed up versions instead of actually deciding on you know no, structure no, but, no, you but, would release the proper version because most directors would want the R-rated one and they're going right well the kids still want to see it so we'll make a kid-friendly version, make it a twelve. No, but you're you're splitting it in the sense that when are they going to show the twelve and when are they show, going to show the fifteen? Like, Same are time. They, no, I well, you see, that's that's taken up two spaces Aye. that was supposed to be and one they would space. Make a fucking kill? No, but they they no, wouldn't though because because then people, every, people no, would be no, as everyone... curious about either as well. Like people are like I think we were under you underestimate something like some fanboys. They would want to see both of them. I would want to see both of them, but then I think and too, it would create serious press and it would create serious conversation if they did that. And I, I seriously think it, it would it would benefit everybody if people actually got to see the fucking film. Um, it, I think what, it would what just show a lack of belief. I think it would show a lack of belief in the project that if but, you had a split on the two. No, because I, mean? I I think as well you would have a monopoly on people when they see the R rated version or whatever. So then there's less screenings of that one because you're showing the other one. So then that's cutting how much money you're actually taking 
in like the first weekend by half or by like a quarter or whatever. I think it's a very interesting idea. But do you, you know what so. I mean? Like from a business kind of standpoint, un- unless you're taking I up think twice. The business standpoint, it makes more sense. But, uh, but unless you're taking up twice as many screens, but then if everybody wants to go see the R-rated version, then you're going to have less people in the in the 12 version. And then the, the, the so highest... that's going to be half empty. And then you're going to have. No, no, no I, I disagree. I'd say less people would go to the R-rated version. Last people go to the R rated version. I, no, I think I think no, but kids... no. Actually, no. Hold on, right? Because right, the reason they cut these films down is because the single biggest market in cinema is the twelve, right? But the whole so thing... the twelve no, sorted. No, but... it's everyone. Yeah. What but do you see, mean? But see, for me, I mean, no, that, this is why Die Hard's a twelve. I so you know everyone I mean? can go see it. So everyone can go see it. No, but if but they no, had no, an no, R rated no. version, not everyone would want to go see I, the twelve exactly, version. So everybody can go see it, but the pr- the problem with that then though. Is that you have all these fucking sanitized versions of good films? Oh no, that's that. We're not disagreeing that. There. But, but the, the thing is, I think it's just if there is this one, this version, and then there is the one that just because honestly, I think it would make clear. And if it was just done as an experiment, it would make very clear uh, what kind of market uh, an R-rated one and a twelve does. I think you would have won for the, for the diehard fans who would have probably went to it anyway, but they'll go to that one. And then the kids will go to this one, and I would just show you what the market's like. I I think, I, I think it would make a very interesting experiment. But who yeah, who are you going to get to risk their two hundred million dollar film or whatever on an experiment? Not even that, that. But even as an experiment, I mean, no, man. you might get a lot of twelve million uh, stuff like that. But it's sort of one of these things. Yes, it might show producers all oh, this is like the sort of sanitized version. But then. Why would you waste the time, the money of putting out that sanitized version as almost like a fucking afterthought, and then mm. doing the R rated one if you had always insisted on doing an R rated uh, one? Like, you know what I mean? And plus, it's well, down to the, it's, plus no, it, they, but, they, but, they'd make you fucking. No, I know. Like, obviously, the producers want to get it down there. You know, to get a bigger box office and get younger people on so everybody can see it. But I actually think I, I, like I really think it would be the best no, but, of both worlds. But, but, but people, plus, people who would get to see the film, not breaking the law, and then the fucking kids get to see a film as well. But plus, it comes down to the individual cinemas or the cinema chains or whatever. That are they going to choose to show the two different versions of the, of the thing, or are they just going to get in the R rated version or the twelve version that's going to make them the most money? You know what I mean? Because you, you have to understand if that's taken up two spaces, then. And one of them's not going to make as much money. Then they could put another film in that space that could make more mm. money in that one. You know what I mean? But definitely, like, they think that uh, honestly, the way this goes now, and they might have press about how fucking sanitized that was, and even like even other films like you know like uh, even Batman and Superman had the same problem. They wanted it to be R rated, and yeah. even uh, I Am Legend and World War Z, they wanted that to be R rated and this kind of thing. These big popular films that are getting sanitized and people are getting fucking pissed off. I I could see something like that definitely happening. The the only thing that I would say is that I think it's like you were saying, like I am Legend and Batman vs Superman and stuff like that. I think it's totally dependent on the actual narrative. If there's a film that they want to make R rated, unfortunately, if the producers say no way if they make this twelve, then they're going to do a twelve. Splitting it for me, if you want to make it R rated, just make the R rated film because then hashing out this twelve. As like an afterthought, just to kind of appease people. I don't know. First of all, art- artistically, it's like, oh, here it is, just for wings and stuff like that. But that's not what we ever intended to do. Mm. I don't know. It's it's it's, it's sort of very cynical. Sort uh, of no, I, I, I'm completely cynical of it. Yeah, but I mean, it's like plus plus well, they, well, what, what, they no, what, but plus they can double dip you in the Blu-ray release as well, like what they just did with Batman versus Superman. Well, see, They've the, just the, released the an R-rated me, version of it. I know, I know, but the thing that annoys me now is that. 
a lot of people don't know that there's an R-rated version of these films that's going to come out. A lot of people don't know that. Like, they went to see it and go, that's fucking shit. A lot of people don't think about the film as in, oh, I could see a better film. They just go, that's shit. And they write it off. And the film that the director spent so much fucking time on and trying to make good, which was sanitised and bastardised, is never going to see a light of day. But and that's what fucks me yeah, off. But then well, it, goes, it goes in again, like, I mean, just because it's our doesn't necessarily, you know, be a stamp of quality. I mean, it could for be those characters, though, like, For those characters, it I had obviously, to be it would, it would round them more and it would make them more realistic and stuff like that. But then, you know, it, it could easily just be shit still like you know well let me piss you off more go ahead because what i heard about suicide squad in particular is david ayer the director yeah. good director he, great director yeah he directed fury and mm. did he didn't direct end of watch city or did he just write it yeah, i think he directed that too. he wrote training day but yeah you see, when when you see those films, and he's he's obviously just kind of like a raw, kind of visceral director, yeah, and you kind of has a lot of say visceral. <laughs> <laughs> he's a but he kind of gets you in in the action, and the action in this film is just it's it's very bland and just kind of it's just kind of it's not it's the just streets. Like Studio David Ayer yeah. from Champaign, Illinois. Oh my, <laughs> Champaign, Illinois, very nice, very nice. But oh, also another one I really liked, uh, Street Kings and Harsh Times. Nice two really fucking did he write them back. no he directed them Still, oh no with their two seconds no, with their, with their, oh shit with their, oh, 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 oh. I'm pretty sure uh, Harsh Times he directed which I really like I think it's a nice and Street Kings he directed did and I? End of Watch he directed so mm, they're they're all really strapped down on the ground so yeah. it looks at like LA crime in a class like I think they're actually it's, it's actually a really underrated wee trilogy mm. I really like all those films even uh, the writing of Trinity they could be thrown in there too like fucking right but, um, oh fuck what there he wrote he wrote the first Fast and Furious as well. Did he? <laughs> he wrote go. the first one. Well, in front of him and two fellas, Gary Scott Thompson and Eric Bergquist. But anyway, continue. No, but he, he had his own edit of this film. But there was a reaction day after Batman v Superman came out that it was too dark. And they they were trying to... Like, you, you heard rumors about they were doing reshoots on Suicide Squad. They make it funnier and stuff like that. I don't know if that was the case or if it was just standard reshoots because every film goes through reshoots. But, um... They, oh, yeah, apart, <laughs> apparently, da- David Ayer had his, <laughs> worked on his own edits. But then they also shipped it out the... A trailer house that did the you know, the Bohemian Rhapsody trailer for Suicide Squad. Yeah. They gave them the whole film the edit, and it's their edit that's out. It's not yeah, David Ayer's. Never heard of that happen before. Yeah, it's meant. Trailer house chops the whole film, and you you can really feel that as well. Not even not, not well. Obviously, trailer houses are all like they're what a team the of prof- fuck is going on. Aye. Aye. like fair enough. Trailer houses are a team of professional. Balls, aye. Aye. they're they're a team of professional editors. All trailer houses, but. They are specialised in... I mean, like, cutting a trailer and cutting a whole film is a completely different beast. There's, I've never heard of that. There's, that's fucking crazy. There's two it's things... all the music, like... Donkle. No, we, donkle. We, didn't, we didn't hear about the music. No, there's two things that really stuck with me. Also, see, First, just, see just don- for the listener, too, because it's, Sorry, it's, it's just a term that we might not chat a little bit before if you just want to explain what a trailer house is. I'm doing me Enchantress from Suicide Squad. <laughs> um, no, a trailer house is literally... When you get trailers for films, like the director or whatever, well, very rarely the director is actually involved with creating that trailer. They put, they give it, they give out shots and footage to a trailer house, and they cut them up basically whatever way they want, just to make a trailer, and it's approved by the producers or whatever. Yeah. So that's basically what a trailer house is. But this 
particular trailer house edited the whole film. <laughs> That's, That's fucking crazy. But there's there's, shit, there's really two like. things that really stick out. They, first of all, when they're introducing the Suicide Squad, they do a really bad job of introducing them because at the very beginning of the film, they introduce Deadshot and Hardy Quinn just by themselves. You just see a bit of Will Smith, you see a bit of Hardy Quinn. But then Viola Davis goes to dinner and she's pitching the Suicide Squad. So then they literally go through the files and so they're introducing every character one by one, including Deadshot and Hardy Quinn, mm-hmm. who you've already met. And they, they're obviously the two main from the Suicide Squad, like, so they get the most screen time. But and then that could have easily been fucking covered over with just them saying, "Oh, you know, Deadshot and Harley Quinn," and then just giving like lovely two lines of dialogue because you already know. Instead, of actually going and focusing on them. Well, you, you didn't need to introduce them before this. Like, if you want the scene where you're introducing them all, then don't show yeah. them beforehand. Or, or, or they could even just say, "Oh, Deadshot, Harley Quinn," and then you know what I mean. Just say their yeah. names, then move on to someone else. But no, this is the worst part, though. Like they, 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 you're really trying to fucking. They, they all, they all have really to push buttons. They, they, they all have their own wee backstories, but. To begin with, you, they literally have like, like a, like a shot of Deadshot, and he's wearing his white mask, and his, he has his wee eyepiece and all, and it says Deadshot next to him, and then a list of like it says like oh professional assassin blah blah, blah and it says all the things he does, and then so it's almost it like say, a, it's almost like a game screen, aye. you know, if you're choosing a character, and it says at the bottom like oh like weaknesses like a kid and a and a wife or something like that, yeah. and it's just like. It's just like they're giving you expo- like putting exposition, loads of exposition on screen for about ten seconds, oh, which like you can't. They do like a Sherlock Holmes thing where it shows you all. Sh- no, it's it's literally it like, looks like an interactive it, thing. Like no, I, literally like a game screen. Like you see Deadshot, and then like just a just a list like of his things. attributes. Aye. 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 and they and don't then, do it for everybody. No, they do it for everybody. This Aye. is the stupid fucking thing. But maybe obviously we're sitting here kind of picking this film apart. No doubt the Suicide Squad seems they're making a shit ton of money. Maybe that is just the producer. <laughs> maybe that's the producer's very unsubtle way of just tapping on that sort of gaming market too. Because uh, comic books, games, that sort of fucking subculture, it all sort of rolls on the one a lot of times. This is yeah, the thing I was going to get on. They, it is, and it, and it's it's like one of the worst ones for cinema. Batman v Superman critically was one of the worst films ever made. Uh, well, not, not one of the worst films ever made, but it was bad. Like, but it, it was wasn't bad. It was one of the worst. No, films ever like made. one of the one of the worst big budget films ever made, and uh, and it, I think it's one of the highest grossing. It's in the top five or something. It's, it's, it's no. mental. Yeah. No, it's, it's it's fucking gross shitloads. Like, no, it made eight hundred million. <laughs> no, but I was like, I, lo- I love that eight hundred million is considered not that special anymore because it's almost expected that huge films no, have it, to make a bill. It, it was it, it broke a few records of one of the biggest openings ever as well. Not done. I did. No, it didn't. I did. I didn't. I did. <laughs> Let's check this. I'll tell you what. You keep talking about Suicide Squad, and I will continue. No, checking this. All right, all right. No, it, it might. It I, might have broke records for like March or something. A certain time in the year, aye, it did it, break a few aye, records. It, it, probably, it probably broke a record for that weekend well, in March or something. Suicide like that. Squad it, has just break? broken the the biggest August opening ever. I think it got one hundred thirty mil on its first weekend. And it's this thing of it was a phrase that was knocked around with Batman v Superman. Which was that it was too big to fail, and I think Suicide Squad is that as well. Do you know what I mean? And yeah. it's like it's almost saying this won't last. But at the minute the studios are going, we can make a biggest pile of shit, but we throw all these comic book characters in it. Like it doesn't matter. But I mean, like you could say it about just the nature of blockbuster in general. I mean, everything's been doing like from Transformers. The it's always going to be a big. 
amplified characters like even even stuff like fucking Jaws big threatening it's, it's, character it's, Jurassic it's, Park it's, it's, big it's sort of different characters. though because I think it's different because they have so much source material uh, but that's, and that's they don't I'm saying, bother doing it properly but at the same and they time don't, I mean, they literally do not bother I, I mean you're saying about like Transformers and stuff and all that has source material but, but it's not you know it's different to comic books have a longer kind of lineage and they have so many things, so many great stories they pull I, I, from. I personally think it's a good thing and a bad thing because you can get someone like Deadpool who's got a lot of source material like other comic book characters and if... Actually, like, a good example of, of agreeing with your point as well that, that they just went for the R. Aye, exactly. I mean, that's yeah. the whole thing. They went for the R. You should have quoted that up, man. I, I would have been all right, die. But I mean, actually, <laughs> I just, just go and do what Heron said there now. Uh, Deadpool, I think they realised straight away that Deadpool is very, very different compared to most of our comic book characters. They did write a 12 version. You could, did they? Did it. Like, did you, could, you could not, you could not uh, sanitise Deadpool. It has to be, you know, he has. there has to be expletives and it has to be, it has to be an 18, it has to be R-rated. And they done it, and it was a huge success. Not only because they done so well at the box office, but for me, it's you know one of the best comic book films made. Mm. It's funny, it's entertaining, the, and it's uh, you know it's different than the fact that he's breaking the fourth uh, wall. Do you, do you know it's the most successful X Men film? Go on. No, it's the most. Oh, because he has all oh, right. He has an X Men. Yeah, yeah, technically, he's technically an X Men. He's an X Men. But if X, you if X-Man. you think. All the X Men films came out, and Deadpool's the highest grossing one. Fuck him, man. And as well, he gets a wee, he gets a wee J with them on there yeah. when uh, he goes back to mansion uh, because they don't want to attach it. Do just quickly, can I have one more quick uh, stab at this twelve uh, A R rated thing? Right <laughs> on fucking uh, on, fucking. on a lot a lot of a lot of cable TV. Right, they show a lot of R rated films, and people still watch them. I'm saying, I, I I agree with you. It's sanitizing. It's fucking up the art, and you're not seeing the real film. But we joked about it before, where there's like versions of the Big Lebowski that get shown on TV, saying this is what happens when you find a stranger in the Alps. When it should be this is what happens when you fuck a stranger in the ass. People still watch it. There's still a market for it. It would still make as much money. I, but I think it's lot- just instead of TV, we're just putting it in the media of a theater. But I mean, I think that uh, I think that making. An 18 and the 12 would take a lot more than just changing a couple lines of dialogue. I think that why, put it this way, say if you're sitting in the house and the Big Lebowski comes on and say it's uh, post or before the watershed, I guarantee that one of the last things that's going to end down to your head is going to be, all, oh, they're going to change the dialogue slightly. I think it's because you've seen the film that many times, even if they were to change the dialogue, it's not going to alter your enjoyment of it. But taking a film from an 18 down so to a 12... No, but taking, taking an 18 <laughs> down to a 12, it's, it, that's more than changing a bit of dialogue. Like, you know, no doubt. Especially someone like, if it does involve action, it's going to be going from the sort of Deadpool stuff if I'm literally fucking decapitating people. They like, cutaways and stuff like that. And I think it's going to take it down. But what would be... See, see, it wouldn't be like you would hand the thing. You would have to go back to the edit. You would have to cut out some of the blood. You could still have all yep. the explosions because Americans don't give a fuck about explosions and violence. The only thing you care about is sex and curse words. Yeah. All yeah. the violence could probably stay there. Quite a bit of it, actually. Aye, probably all it. Nearly all it. Well, no, apart no, from, no, apart so, from the blood no, in the camera no, and no, stuff. No, because no, all no, the shit, no, 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 you need to cut out all but, the blood. Yeah, but no, not cut out all no, the blood. No, but not, no, no, seriously. No, but not, not even just, but I do agree with blood, and that's obviously why like, Terminator 2 was kind of. Not like a fucking 18 and stuff because he's a robot, and anytime he gets shot, you don't really see any blood loss, blah, blah, blah. But. I'm sorry. Not Terminator 2, William. Terminator, oh, sorry. But uh, even three. Even, Terminator three. 3. But even if you talk away blood loss and all that, like, <laughs> using Deadpool as a case study, Deadpool and taking R-rooted violence in general, say, like, from a saw or something like that, there's people getting mutilated and fucking decapitated. You couldn't just take away the fucking blood. I'm not saying, I'm not saying, I'm not saying, you know what I mean? With every film. 
I'm seeing those big, big, massive releases. And Deadpool's another good example because you never see him as mouth. You you never see what he's actually saying for a lot of it. So they can easily change what the fuck they want. No, but you could do it easily with Deadpool as well because any curse words he says, you could just bleep them and then that becomes part of the joke. Yeah. Like, he could start complaining about why he's being bleeped. Aye, but that's... That's very, that's very particular, like, only to that narrative and him kind of breaking down that fourfold. See, but Aye, that, but I, mean, we're, we're, I thought we were talking about Deadpool. No, but that, I mean, if, if that ever highly happened, specific, though, like, to yeah. that film. I mean, I mean, all our films that here and Shane, if you want to take it from an 18 to a 12, you're not all of a sudden going to have the fucking main character breaking a fourfold, but all the way might be bleeped all of a sudden, you know what I mean? Oh, like, right. like, oh okay. No, well, yeah, just cut, cut out swear words and no blood, then you're done. Well, see, what, what, what I, actually... I, I, and, and decapitation. I, if and, it developed, sex, right. And any sort of actual realist hardcore violence. I, I don't know. I don't get this argument. No, you, no, you you can get away with violence. All right, maybe not decapitation, but no, no, full, no, full eight, on violence. Not eighteen, but fifteen violence. I not eighteen. No, violence. definitely. I mean, violence like, is is on its own. You'd be surprised. Level. They, 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 they did away Expendables three. Like. That was a twelve. Uh, that's. I mean, uh, you're thinking about stuff like. Uh, uh, I don't even bring up stuff like irreversible or something like that, but that's proper violence. Proper, not just. Well, we're talking about big budget action films. Right, we're, we're talking about big budget. Irreversible is like a pure exception. It takes on like Die Hard. You can I, make I'm talking Die about big releases, right? Big releases that they go, there's definitely a fucking R-rated version of this film, which is the fucking director's vision. And because it's so big and it's so anticipated, we'd release it twice. I'm not saying every R-rated film ever made, you would do a 12 version of it. I'm saying Suicide Squad as an example of too many people want to see this and they want to see the real version and... They want to see that shite version no, of the studio want to release. Just, just no, no, I, 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 I know, I know, I know, I know. I'm not getting into that. that insult, I'm not getting into that argument, but I'm saying. Oh, here's a fault, but I actually pay for it twice. I know what you mean. No, 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 but, no, no but we're missing the point. No, I'm not getting into that argument. I'm saying that in a film like that, that's the only time I would say. Like a, spe- a very could, specific. Aye, a very specific thing. but then what they. If it ever did happen, because it's that much fucking money, what they would do is they would probably shoot and go, no, this is for the 12, or this is for the thing. That's what probably would happen. Yeah. That's what they did Batman vs. Superman. Aye. I don't know, even with very specific narratives, there's just a huge cynicism in it. It's almost like... No, I agree with no, you about it's, it's not changing like the, it. The studio thinks, oh, you know what, we couldn't decide on what sort of film we want they make, so we'll just pull out two of them. You pay for both of them, and we'll reap their awards, and you can have to say which one you like best. I'm not, by, no, by the way, I'm not talking about that. I'm not talking about how you could actually do it. Like I, I'm, I'm with you oh, on that. Aye. I'm just talking about how you could actually do it. I know aye. this is what I was going to say as well. I, I'm not. No, I'm, I completely agree aye. with you. Like I, like I wasn't agreeing with her, and like it should happen or whatever. And I get what you're saying that you agree with Shan. I know. I understand. All I was saying is, it, I do, I do genuinely think it would be that simple of taking out the blood and the language aye. because the 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 American kind of we call it the the rating system it is that fucking just arbitrary that yeah. you, I, I like, don't know as well I th- I you th- can th- get away with a lot of stuff I think no I know what you're on about in kind of the loopholes and getting away like if you take away the blood and like you take away like the sort of sex and stuff you had that brings it down from maybe like an already possibly like a, a 12 air or 15 or whatever even though 15 they, is they now sort have, of they don't have 15 15 is now basically non-existent but I'm just saying too it's a sweeping generalisation because it's all totally dependent on narrative. Because if you literally had a scene where, say, par chance somebody is torturing somebody or mutilating somebody or literally decapitating somebody, mm. taking away the blood isn't going to make a difference. See, You're no, still uh, cutting somebody's fucking head like, off. No, it. but a lot of it can be fucking suggested. Like, so much. I know I'm saying. You can literally take a scene out and maybe just do a colourway or something like Aye. that. But you, that's you really can, cheap you can shoot and sh- I mean, sure, sure, 24... And 24 was, was primetime TV. 
You didn't see him cut the boy's hair up, but he showed up in the next scene. We had dummy hair. No, that's what I'm saying. Do you know what I mean? Like, 100% like, I'm saying it can all be done for you. And Jesus Christ, I'm up, saying like know? the miracle the miracle of Edlam and the miracle <laughs> of suggestion. You can easily exactly. You can easily suggest somebody getting their hair so cut off. So you deliberately I, overshoot all this stuff. No, that's not making the 18. It's too slow for the 18. That's going on the twit, you know. And no, it, it can definitely be done, but I'm just, mm. I'm no, I'm, I'm on the Oregon with Mickey. I, I personally think it's a sweeping generalization to say, oh, just, just taking the blood out and, and taking sex out will take it from an 18 down. I mean, no, but I'm, I'm actually thinking that if you actually had a proper 18 film, like a proper 18 film with same mutilation or something like that, and just taking out the sex or the blood, but you still had the same content of somebody being tortured or somebody being mutilated, that wouldn't. I mean, you would have to literally recuddle as well. See, well, no, I don't. I don't know. I don't know. I mean, Mikey, the, the, the Mikey, fir- the f- are, you, are you saying that you could actually show somebody being cut on their thousand pieces, but because there's no blood, it could be a 12? Yeah. Yeah. No. Nah. 100%. No. I, I agree, Mick, on that one. Somebody being mutilated, cut on the pieces, yeah. cut on the pieces, having their head cut off at 12. Are you <laughs> fucking serious? Hey. Nah, Mickey, you're talking your fucking hole, man. It's, no. It's that arbitrary. Sure, you're fucking, the Raiders are lost dark because his head chopped off in the first scene. Aye, but everybody says that's Sure because... thing, fucking boy's head walks away. Well, that's an instant. No, I'm joking. Wait, 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 I'll give you an example as well. The first scene of the weapons were I just love that sentence, boy's head walks away. Boy walks away with head. Head up, bag. <laughs> he says fuck oh yeah get the head in the bag fuck it but uh no right the first thing people happened right um the action is pretty much the same as the third one the only difference is that in the first one and the second one you see a set of tits in both of them yeah, and there's cocaine in it there's cocaine in the first I'll two. take you a step further and then, put, put the third nipple bo- tassels on them 12 aye you show a nipple aye. Renee <laughs> Ruzo still, still has her, her, her fucking Gansy on when her and Regs are getting it on the third one, so it's 15. Do you know what I mean? That's why mm-hmm. I, I, I personally believe that. Like. So I'm right. Uh, that's what I talk from that. Right, se- sex. <laughs> I, I, sex. No, no. Sex is one of the biggest. I, mean, I, I said countless times that it always is. Noodley is always the big noodle. As soon as you one, call like, Noodley out, then you're sweet. I, I know. But you could, you, could, you could shoot as many people in the head as you want. Like, no blood. I, no blood. Well, the, the way I see it and the way I'm looking at it is that. It's actually quite rare now to say an 18, but even looking at, like, say, an case study... It's 15, kind of, on the way it's out. Basically, and that, like, it's basically... It's sort of the weird one. It's basically yeah. been gone for years. Like, there's, it's basically now just 12. You might you might just go out, because in America, they don't have that. It's pretty much just PG-13 and R-rated. But here, you, you might get it with, like, like a kind of sex comedy or something, mm. where mm. it's not... It doesn't necessarily kind of Like a Zack and Mary, like a porno or some shit like that, yeah, there, yeah. which is... I or, like... Bad neighbors and stuff like that. I don't was know if I was bad, eighteen or fifteen. Was, was like bad, bad neighbors were twelve, wasn't it? <sighs> Jesus, no. no You're no. swearing and tits and all that. Yeah. Uh, no, no, it was. It was burning because they're fucking Hulk tits out here. That's right. They're fake. Though. <laughs> they're fake. I, I read about it. <laughs> they obviously <laughs> wouldn't be your actual tits. <laughs> Specifically, an article about them. <laughs> Shan saw we chopped them. I don't know. This is a this is thing like, where we will disagree on, right? The whole reason I'm saying this shit about Suicide Squad is purely because I want to see the R-rated one, and I'm afraid... Don't worry, they'll release it. <laughs> they'll release it on Blu-ray. They'll release some they'll... fucking dickheaded version no, of it. No, they'll do the exact same thing they did with Batman vs. Superman. I mean, the... the, the is there the, an R-rated version of Batman vs. Superman? They've released Batman vs. Superman, the Ultimate Edition, which is half an hour longer, and it's R-rated, and apparently, it's it explains way more of like the court case and stuff with Superman, and it actually makes the film make more sense. Oh. It still has the kind of core problems with it because you can't really change that. But 
it's supposed to be a better film. One other thing, uh, and you can tell us now because you've actually seen Suicide Squad and stuff like that, but uh, something that I've been reading in the reviews, a lot of people have been talking about this, is that, like you were saying before, uh, Harley Quinn and Deadshot get a lot of screen time and stuff, but a while a lot of people, especially critics, have been complaining that they all are, what, like six or whatever members of Suicide Squad basically are completely forgotten about. Like, I heard that there's one of them that is actually only on screen for about three minutes. Croc? No, no not no. Croc. It's the other one. His name is Slipknot. Aye, that's and him. It's, Slipknot, it's, it's actually the, the most disrespect I've ever seen a character get because mine, mine was saying, Andy, like, Amanda Waller's at dinner and she's going through the whole Suicide Squad. Slipknot does not come up. Then the, there's there's their first mission and all. They're gathering them all up and all. Slipknot does not come up. <laughs> they have them ready to go on the mission and they're all, oh, here's Slipknot. He can climb anything with a rope. Or something like that. <laughs> That's his fucking skill. He can climb ropes. And so he, he just rocks up Aye. and like, Alright then. K- Katana gets a wee bit as well because they're, they're like... It's like an early Superman bird It's a plane kind of thing. He can climb anything with a rope. <laughs> almost, you know what that's actually... It's almost like a grandfather clause is that when that character was written it's like, oh, this is really cool but now because of the way audiences are somebody who can climb shit isn't actually that interesting. But you think to yourself, aye, they're trying to be fucking... Um, they're trying to honour the actual source material, but why not just write those characters, right? Because first no, of all... No, he, he first, does have a purpose. I know, but I mean, like that's probably like a really contrived purpose just to actually get him on the film. Why not, not just write him and the other person out and not make your film as bloated? And then it also gives you more time to focus on the rest of Suicide Squad. You know what I mean? You see, because K- Katana gets it a wee bit because they're literally just about to leave in the helicopter just to go on the mission. Sword, eh? Aye, and then she she just gets on the thing, and then Rick flags all. Oh yeah, this is Katana. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> all right then. But no, slip slip not right. They they arrive. Sounds horrendous. Like not I know it's, it's, it sounds they, really they, bad. The script must have been about five hundred pages long. Of just in case we don't have time to introduce these things, go and just and produce them every now and again, just uh, in case we don't bring them in before no, well, that, this. But, no, but that's your first <laughs> introduction of those two characters. But no, no but right. like they, they, no, but they right, could so well have like, been in other scenes and this is just every now and again just say this is Katana <laughs> in case we decided to cut them out of like most of the film. But Slipknot, right, they literally like land, they they go to the mission or something and Captain Boomerang, aka Jai Corner, he's actually really good at it. and what you were saying like not a lot of the other Suicide Squad get a lot of time. I would have preferred more Jai Courtney because he, he, like he's, they all try and they, they try and force jokes on everybody, but he's the proper comic relief. Like, he's a funny character, and I could have been doing more jokes with him. Is this the thing that Heron has brought up before in the podcast, where it just seems like Hollywood... It, it seems like Jay Courtney has, like, naked photos of every director and producer in Hollywood because they still keep trying to push him. Is this action here? Is this no, no, because... Is this one of the few times that it pays off? I know, it works, because he's, he's, he's in no way trying to be forced as... Like a star or anything, like he's shite. just there. Jack Reacher, shite. What Jack Reacher's not shite. Jack Reacher's very good. I, no, I'm saying I'm, I'm in Jack Reacher. I'm in Jack Reacher. He's all right. I mean. well, he doesn't have a lot to do, but like they're, they're obviously do, trying but to he, push but him. But he is, he is kind of he, he has he has a couple of fucking hard hitting scenes in it. But it's just that's it, you could have thrown everybody on it. Yeah. But anyway, back they slipped up. Captain Boomerang comes up and says he slipped not because the way they get them to do the mission is they implant an explosive in their neck so if they try and fuck off they can just explode their oh, head oh fuck John Carpenter will be on that in a shot that's fucking a skip from New York there's not a court case when they happen I know that <laughs> I actually want to bring that up because this is very escape so from wh- New York so what? what explain this again they, they, they put an explosive in their necks so if they try and fuck off if they try and run so away it's in the ne- oh, it's, it's, so it's yeah okay but 
Captain Boomerang says to Slipknot, he's like, these these bombs are bullshit. I'm not going to run for it. You again? And Slipknot's all like, how do you know? He's all, I just I just know. And he's all, all right then. So then Captain Boomerang tries to make a run for it, but they, Katana gets him with, with her sword, so she's holding him down. But then Slipknot fucking fires a rope straight up it. Classic Slipknot. But then they explode his head, and that's that's the only reason he's in that film, is to show that the explosives are in. That's the only reason that character's in that fucking film. Sounds fucking horrendous. He's, he's just a fucking red shirt. Like. <laughs> oh, man. Hey. But yeah... There's 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 big escape from New York kind of emphasis like with with the explosives and just they're going and they basically an evacuated kind of cityscape kind of thing. Big Johns up for an payday anyway. And and and, spe- <laughs> and specific and they're going in specifically to save one person. <laughs> well, I'm not. Uh, yeah. Is it a prison soldier? No, you're not allowed to know how it is because it's a secret. Oddly enough, uh, there is a, a character in there as well. Is there another <laughs> character in there with an eye patch and long hair called Plex Snuskin, though? <laughs> <laughs> but Blake Sad Squatch? <laughs> no. And John was licking his lips over here. That rumor, the fucking hell. Hey, I'd say John is a better case than fucking Lock. I know he's got a better case than Lock. By the way, he's probably thinking himself, "Happy fucking days." I'm I'm looking for a new conservator. WB got some deep pockets. By the way, at the film club, we're going to show the two already versions of these films. Oh, why? We reckon hundred percent. They will do it. We'll get it on. Make sure it happens. To get them out there on the lawn. Superman, those three hours. <laughs> yeah, well, not sure. Uh, we'll show the the real version of Kingdom of Heaven at some point. Oh. That's three hours long. Yeah, that's yeah, it, at, at least, least it, that's uh, good. Uh, <laughs> at least that's good, aye. Maybe that would be a Sunday one. Worst off with Edward Norton, fucking crawling with leprosy. Aye. Fair play to him for fucking doing that, probably. Fucking right there, because you don't ever I, see his fist. I, got, like, I, I, I heard he like. properly got leprosy for it as well. Uh, uh, he was a guy. fucking lep for about two weeks. Uh, <laughs> all <laughs> enough, he, he actually wrote that on the script as well, because he didn't agree with Ridley Scott. He said, you know what, now I want leprosy. That's that's that's, that's what they meant, that he was a leper in Hollywood for a He rocked up by leprosy. I get Christian Bale rocking up being ripped and all, and I get all this here and all, but seriously, leprosy. Orlando Bloom? Camo Jets. Orlando Bloom? You want to be Kingdom of Heaven still? Hey, what about him? Was Christian Bale? No, 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 just, no. He was. Right, he was comparing, making a comparison. All right, all right, all right. He's comparing like method actors. Just kind of something from out there. Okay, yeah. but yeah. Um, Summary. So I think this has to be the longest one we watched ever because we just kind of really went on the one. Yeah. But it's good. It's been good. It's been good. Summary, yeah, Suicide Squad. Suicide Squad. It's it's Maybe not. Maybe bump mines because this, this was very good. <laughs> well, no, we can still do yours after. I'll just be all that's good. Watch it. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's not awful, but it's it's. I, I don't think it's worth a watch. There's some nice bits in it, and I, it's just as I was watching the film, I felt like there's a better film in here. There's there's like some of the stuff that they try and do, you can see how it could be done differently. I'm sure, I heard. Hey. And it's there's 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 one nice bit at like you see a bar scene in one of the trailers, and that whole bar scene I actually thought was kind of cool. But ultimately, it's it's. It's mishandled and it's just it's not very entertaining. And even the action stuff is just a bit bland. And yet again, Marvel can fucking laugh at DC because DC are over two this year. And this was supposed Although, to be this was supposed to be the year that DC mounted finally mounted a challenge against Marvel. But once again, great great performances from from everyone mm. for for what they had. It's all down to the editing and stuff. Hey, Jared, I can fuck off. <laughs> <laughs> is he really epic? I I just I don't like him. 
It's just the the way they present it because this is the thing as well. He's the Joker now. You know what I mean? Uh, like if they do a, like I think Batman films and stuff would be steering far from the Joker at this point. Unless, but you see, he's not in. Must have been first on the he's, Batman, But he's like. he's not in much of the film. So if he's if he's in a main standalone Batman film, then they can obviously delve into him more. And strangely just, enough, the way they present them in this is just a standard kind of mob boss who's in love who's in love with Harley Quinn. In the very fucked. first episode of this podcast, the whole thing that we discussed was the promotional images of Jared Little for Suicide Squad, and we are now vindicated because we said in that very first episode that he would be shite, and he has revealed himself to be shite, apparently. They could still do the twist where he's not actually the Joker, though. Yeah. <laughs> he's all um, Todd's Just for us, big massive spoiler... Uh, big massive spoiler if I'm right coming up do you want to know this if I no obviously it can be cut if it's a spy I want to know okay spoiler alert is he actually Robin I know they they don't say they don't say they well well they about the tattoos no no they 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 never address anything like they never kind of address anything that he's not the Joker like everybody calls him the Joker it's never brought into contention that he's not the Joker or that he previously had a relationship with Batman. And obviously you can cut this out, but just for our own fucking interest, um, does Bat show up in the actual film with a stinger and does he fucking with the head him or what happens? No, yeah, Bat, Bat's... Bat's actually, he hops on the top of his Lamborghini at one point, No, that's just that's, that's, that's the whole joke. We have <laughs> fucking there, Batman <laughs> hanging off the back of a wee cape. I know, you... Lamborghini with a wee cape on. I know, you've seen this in the trailer. Batman's in it. I thought it might have been a stinger. How long is it? Jennifer? Sink and sink. Just like a couple of shots. Like... I actually does he have any dialogue or is he just literally chasing him? <laughs> there's, there's there's one bit of dialogue where there's a shape as well. <laughs> okay, it's it's at the very beginning of the film, so it's it's not a spoiler, but spoiler if you're really sensitive. Is he only on at the beginning? Aye, it's it's kind of during the whole backstory bit. But That's a strange move too. Like having someone they're going to but like throwing Batman at the start. You think they'd build up that and like a, a nice wee fucking. But where are you going to put it on? But where are you going to put it on? If it's no, but I mean, you could, you could, they could be right to the middle of the and it could be a wee spanner in the works. Mm. You know, Batman could come in and fucking bust things up. Like, yeah. I know, they don't do that. <laughs> they could have done a Wolverine in the last fucking X-Men. Even that was a bit of shit as well. That was yeah. so bad. I, mean, I, like, I, only, I only watched the new X-Men recently and it's... Is it why shit? Not only is it really shit because it just seems really unbelievably contrived that it's they're there at that point where... Striker's compound. Hey, there's, there's, there's no other reason for them to be in Striker's compound. No <laughs> other reason to be in Striker's compound. But also, I thought I don't, I don't know how they thought it looked good. Remember when Wolverine is looking at a young Jean Grey, uh, Sophie Turner, who's Santa in Game of Thrones, uh, and they looks at her and then just turns and starts running away, and it looks really shit because they do it in a big wide. And you know the way they always do that thing for comedy, it, where it, an actor kind of turns and starts running. Like just for a bit uh, of a laugh, it, it just looks shit. But it looks super creepy as well really because not. it's it's grown up Wolverine looking uh, at a young Jean Grey. He's like, I'm gonna that, fuck I mean, you one day. Even when when Wolverine's staring her, I think it's in part Jackson's sort of facial expression, which just looks like complete bewilderment and kind of adds the creepiness. But also, I don't know how the fucking prop makers or set designers thought look good, but that helmet that he's got on looks yeah. fucking ridiculous. 
Absolutely ridiculous. I never and thought it was dead about Hugh Jackman. And he just turns a wee pair of fucking shorts on and starts belting it through fucking Alaska. I know, he should have <laughs> been, been, like, been, yeah, been, been naked. He should have been naked. Rightfully, he should have been naked. So is that rewriting another part of the fucking X-Men thing? Pretty much, yeah. No, well, it's, I mean, you, you know, it's, it's, it's supposed to be he's actually been Weapon X for a while. Yeah. But, um, and as well, it's not really rewriting it because even if you look at Singer's original trilogy, you only ever well, see... Well, I suppose the thing's rewritten now anyway. But even if you look at like Singer's original, or sorry, Singer's original 2, Anytime you see like Wolverine breaking out, it's literally just a flashback of him coming out of the water, and you never actually see how he breaks out. So, I but that that indicates that he's he's had the claws for a while and he's actually been used. You know what I mean? I see. I, I never really read that, and I just thought well, that was well, and well, got well at least, now. but no, but at least he's he's been caged up with Adam Adam Like the the ones you've seen in the original ones is once he gets Adam at them, he freaks out and runs out. You know what I mean? Yeah. Even just as a wee subcomment as well. No, 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 no. Just, just in the quickly. first Wolverine, it's because he hears them saying. But they, but no, he, he hears your man saying like kill him. I know, no, but in the actual. But, Do you remember the you, first Wolverine film? I, no, but you're forgetting that that Wolverine film and the other one that they're not canon. They've been completely written out. Well, like the second one's still canon, isn't it? No, I don't think even no, the one in Japan. I don't think that's included. I think that's been completely written out as well. No, te- tech technically, actually, some of the first Wolverine yeah. Origins is really? because is, I, no, I, because it's, some of it's set in the sixties, and Days of Future Past takes place in the seventies. So technically, parts of it are uh, Ryan Reynolds, Wade Wilson is supposed to be in the sixties. <laughs> the canons all but, like, but sure, like, sure literally they do not care. And I think as well, it was an absolute. It was an absolute I think that's why not only is Days of Future Past a fucking. It's, I, I actually think it's maybe maybe my favourite comic book film. I fucking absolutely love, I love Days of Future. It. I absolutely I love, love Days X2 of Future and Past. Days of Future Past. I think they're amazing for I, yeah. X1, 2 and Days of Future Past are amazing. Days of Future Have Past Have you seen the Rogue me? Cut? No. What's the Rogue Cut? It's when they, they, oh, right. they put back Anna in. They put back in and I pack one as Rogue for a couple of scenes. For when? In Days of Future Past, they, they had her in the future with Magneto and, and all. Like, oh, fuck right, right, So there's the road cut where they put those scenes back in. There's literally just like a sequence where uh, Iceman, Billy, and Magneto go to get... Oh, Billy. Oh, Billy. <laughs> go go uh, to get Anna Paquin, who the what do you, the Sentinels have trapped in Cerebro. So they have to break into the X-Mansion to get her from Cerebro in the yeah, future. Yeah, what about a wild pain in the hole and getting mm-hmm. doing all that? It's 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 about weird the way they, watching all that and just going, nah, fuck it. It's really I know it's like as fast as you know, and it was just I remember I actually watched it the first time in in Berlin. I was just going happy fucking days, Brian Singer, and I just soundtrack came up on all. Opening sequence was cool, and I was just like. It just feels nice. No, feels back like a proper X Men film. This is like, this is fucking class. Not even at that, but see, for I'm so me, happy to get for a comic book film. I think it's genuinely unique because not only is it a really good comic book film, but it's a really good thriller. And I love the fact that it feels like a sixties sort of paranoia thriller. But then it also brings it back to like well, back to the future, really, because you're going on the like you know what what's Aye. happening there. But I love not only how they mix. The past temporality and the future uh, temporality, but I fucking think it was a masterstroke. And the readers ever pat the back of how they had the Fastbender, McAvoy, uh, Xavier, and Magneto, uh, and then Shirt and fucking uh, McAvoy, uh, Mac- no, oh, Shirt, Ian McKellen, Shirt and Ian McKellen, and how they blended that. And as well, in that film, you know, the way you've fucking seen so many things before, like these big monsters, like 2D as fuck, Doomsday, and whatever else, and they're literally just there to be the bad guy. 
for me in that film the Sentinels are creepy as fuck uh, the fact that the X-Men are apparently these gifted people who if they kind of come together can destroy anything the fact that the Sentinels can mimic them uh, and just kind of destroy them with ease you're like I mean, what are you fucking I, what are you going to do against uh, yeah, these yeah, boys yeah. Like, you know what I mean because uh, I, I think they introduced the Sentinels so well in the first 15 minutes where they're basically just swarming through these really fucking gifted uh, X-Men and they're not even breaking a fucking sweat because uh, they're just adapting their powers and destroying them. Uh, it's and, an easy goal. Though. And there's, there's sort of like, I don't know, there's an uneasy thing. It, it, it seems like... like it's a like a Terminator. It's, it's, it's actually really horrible, the Terminator feature. like this army. Like. It feels like the, you know, the Terminator when you're watching it. You're like, oh, this, is yeah. this is the first time you've, I kind of felt that in a film since the Terminator. Especially a comic book film. Aye. It actually seems like they are really creepy, unsettling mm. sort of threat. But see, what I really want to happen, right? Obviously... Singer's gone and done this, you know, whatever the fuck, the one made the, the, the fucking pyramid cunt. And That's then, like, uh, so disappointing. Like, from Days of Future Past. What that. I want to happen now is, is for him to make, you know... Is he not making... Should he not have made the X-Men 3 that he should have made now with all the original cast? Mm. Why shouldn't he do that? Because he's done one now, because Stuart and all weren't done that one. Which one? The the last one. Apocalypse, no. No, no. No, so... They should, so Rightfully so, they should make another one with, with all the original cast. But he's already made a third shite one, so... No, he didn't make a third one. He made a pilot A third shite one? No, no, but I'm mean, saying, like, with, with Patrick Stewart and all. Aye. No, like but he, like, he's already he's made a shite X-Men film now, but him. <laughs> Ruthless as fuck. Do you know what? I think he's, that, he's doing 20,000 leads on this. Scene, I think right? that was one of the most disappointing things, because everybody had this, and rightly so, up until Apocalypse, had this enamoured... Still, the big thing is Apocalypse a shit. No, but no, but that's what I'm saying. Like they had this enamored sort of look of brain saying like, "Oh, the first X Men amazing, second X Men even better, Days of Future Past fucking possibly even better than the first two. And then people were thinking, "Oh, Apocalypse, that's this is going to be incredible." And it was, it was really no, but Brian Singer knew it was going to be shit because he put that Return of the Jedi joke in that film. And so he knew it was going to be shy. <laughs> oh, do you mean the Sophie Tournament? Oh, uh, the, the, what is it? Uh, the, 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 the third one's always the worst. Uh, <laughs> uh, so he knew it was going to be shy. Why do you think well, it's Sophie Turner as fourth. Jean Grey? That's at the his end? fourth, though. Do you know what? That's his fourth. Uh, Sophie Turner as Jean Grey. I really think it's one of the biggest examples of stunt cast never because I don't think that she really suits being Jean Grey. Uh, and I think she's only been cast on the basis that she is huge at the moment because of Game of Thrones. But. I actually think it proves that Sophie Turner, I mean, she's amazing in Game of Thrones, and it just, again, sort of solidifies the fact that she is a good actress. I know. And I... it's just nice to see her do something other than Sansa, because other than Sansa, she's, I think, literally been in the Hun Else film wise. I know, she has a couple of small roles. Does she have a couple of small roles? But no, she's really good in it. I don't MDB think she actually sits the role, but uh, she, 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 does, <laughs> she, she does herself a good, uh, she does herself uh, a really good service. Also, I just hated the fact that when you go from all these temporalities and all these different characters in Days of Future Past, they literally just having the most standard, boring villain and boring fucking setting as Apocalypse. See the posters? I was all... Oh, this is gonna, did you this, notice? It's going to be Just sort of going on the Apocalypse. I haven't <laughs> seen it, but I, I know, I know it's going to be shit. But did you notice, right? Now, for all this excitement and, and, and like sort of world jumping that you had in Days of Future Past and all these different characters, I think that for me it's the most stripped down X-Men film because... I think it works with like the, the the smallest roster of X Men, which you would think is a good thing because they can focus on those characters and not have to jump between etc etc. But it is fucking horrendous because basically they introduce Apocalypse. He's this ancient fucking villain, 
And all he does then is he kind of fucking hypnotises a couple of people. And if you fucking noticed, he literally just stands in a hole for about two hours, looking over a city and being like, I'm going to destroy this, I'm going to destroy this. And then when it comes down to it, he doesn't really do fucking anything. He'd, he breaks he'd, he breaks fucking Quicksilver's leg and then fucking hits a couple of slaps out and all that there. He's fucking shit. But he designs their outfits. Uh, even his outfit. It's fucking... What do you call no. it? Do you know he's a waste of fucking time as well? And I know that it's obviously the producers want to introduce new characters and obviously get like sexy looking women in, but Psylocke, what a waste of time. Oh yeah, I love him on. Oh, I've been hypnotised by fucking uh, Apocalypse. Right, I'm going to just don don this ridiculously scantily clad fucking outfit, box a couple of boys for about five minutes and then run off. And that's literally what she does in that film. No, but the worst thing about that is, is that he does Magneto's outfit Archangel's outfit and Storm's outfit and they're all proper armor stuff and then Psylocke gets fucking thigh high boots and nothing much else. <laughs> you know what I mean? So which thing's better? X-Men Apocalypse or Suicide Squad? See, in X-Men Apocalypse I did really enjoy the younger cast like Ty Sheridan and Cody Schmidt McVeigh. I think they're, I, I, in fairness in X-Men I can't comment on Suicide Squad obviously but in X-Men Apocalypse I think that is one of the few saving graces of it in that those young actors are not given a lot they work with but uh, they really pull it off in the limited fucking source material that they have. Like, Nightcrawler's you know? great. I really like Nightcrawler. I, 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 I like them but then I thought that it's it just seemed like Alan Cummins Nightcrawler but <laughs> I was going to say Nightcoming but it, it, seemed like Al, it seemed like Alan Cummins Nightcrawler Alan Cummins just a bit younger <laughs> I thought they could have done so in a wee bit different way it just it seemed like they were going over old material, like you know what I mean. But but that's the thing I liked about it because you didn't get enough of Alan Cummings because like he he was an X Men too and then just disappeared. No, I mean like as Nightcrawlers want to do. Uh, you definitely didn't get enough of him throughout the the actual series of X Men. So I, I like that they brought him back. I think he's maybe the best thing about X Men too. Yeah, he's great. He's excellent. He's great. But yeah, but other than that, I think, and it's weird because me and you have talked so many times about how Jared Leto China Jared Leto um, Oscar Isaac has a fucking flawless track record and I think that has now been dented because I don't think it's his fault uh, I think it's a wee bit his fault uh, no the, <laughs> I don't know the way, the way well possibly but the way he plays him is just <laughs> really fucking boring but that's obviously what the director wanted and that's obviously no. what they were given he's so 2D no, but like, when when your outfit's louder than you, like you need to start asking yourself the question. He squeaked out. The outfit is fucking. The outfit's horrendous. No, but, but that that was an actual thing. He had an ADR his all his lines because the outfit was too squeaky. But do you, do, you, do, you know, do you know the thing? Do you know the thing that I noticed, right? And I was even kind of fucking shocked that they put that sort of outfit on their modern comic book film because a lot of people it online. No, but a lot of people online said that Apocalypse is the spot the fucking Ivan Ooze from a Power Rangers film. Yeah, and he is. He's got the very same outfit. And considering the fact that they're trying to modernise and, and make uh, superhero costumes sort of sleeker now, the fact that they brought that in, it's boggling looking. Yeah. But Sean, it's practical effects. Yeah, well, you know what? <laughs> well, like we've always said, we're all for practical effects and we're all for... I think the, the perfect way, because we're very gifted at the minute, is having a blend of both. And I think that they maybe should have used a wee bit more CJ with fucking... Um, apocalypse. Mm. A weird thing about Suicide Squad as well. Cara Delevingne plays a enchantress in it, and for a large part of it, she looks CG. But it's Cara Delevingne's face and her body and stuff. But just 
the way she's actually talking all it looks like she, like they've actually just digitally done over her whole thing. Del Levine, I always thought her name was Devonia. Del Levine. I thought it was Carla Devonia. I I think she can't act, and they had a fucking redo everything. No, she possibly can't act because she's a fucking supermodel, and they've literally just crowbar her on there because she's really good looking and she's mm. a body of name. She was in that film. Was it Paper Towns? Not Paper Towns. Is it the? It was the same boy that wrote Fault in Our Stars. Oh, I don't know. Mm. Have a clue. No, but I don't. I don't. I don't, I don't care if it is or I like. I don't insult mm. Cardale. I mean, like, I think it's only her second film or whatever. Right. So there's not a big. There's there's not a big fucking thing to go on there. But yeah, Suicide Squad. It's not great if you're really in the kind of those characters and stuff. Give it a watch because I think. There's good, there's good performances. All the actors, I think, are good for those roles. It's just they don't get a good story or editing or anything else to go with. Or come to our phone club and watch the proper version of it. Yeah, if, <laughs> when when inevitably that comes out, yeah. But yeah, so just wait until they make like a Harley Quinn film or something. <laughs> Boom. Okay, we shall move on to recommendations. Uh, my recommendation is Valhalla Rising, 2009. Nicholas Vinding Rathen. Valhalla. Sorry. Valhalla, Valhalla. Good night, myself. But, uh, Big Mad Mads. Uh, yes, Mads Mickelson. Uh, Valhalla Rising, directed by Nicholas Vinding Rathen. It was literally just two years before he exploded on the scene with Drive, which is like probably seen as one of the biggest cult hits of like modern time. What I love about it, uh, I think personally, it got it kind of got mixed reviews, but on a personal level, uh, and maybe I would say as a filmmaker, if I can even refer to myself as that, it, it was a major, major influence because it was one of the first times uh, that I kind of seen what they call a mood piece being done, and it, it's it's a, a very mood piece. it's it's a very very European thing, and you will never, mm. never, ever, ever see it in like sort of mainstream Hollywood cinema, but. In low budget, maybe European films, and maybe some low budget American films, they try and kind of go for that. It's is that a European film? Though, it's, I, it's it's obviously it's by uh, Nicholas Van der So I th- where's he from? I think he's Danish. I think is I'm really sure he's Danish. I, but um, he heard he's from Shanty. He's from Shanty. <laughs> but the reason that I can open my eyes is that it's not one of the first times, but it was the first time that I seen a big theatrical release in the Stitz being a mood piece, and that it's not about the narrative. And it's unbelievably abstract. It's more about the sort of feeling of watching a film and how this character, one who's Mads Mikkelsen, and he's basically going through like a, a sort of Viking era trek. What it is is that he is captive of this Viking tribe and he is being dragged across this uh, plane or this country, sorry, that isn't described. You assume that maybe it is sort of medieval Denmark or medieval Scandinavia or whatever else. But nothing's explained, and it's because you're put basically in the position of one eye who's really fucked up. He's kind of shirtless and beat up for the whole fucking thing, and there's basically no dialogue, there's no exposition, and you don't really know what's happening, but you get the feeling of the film through these really visceral uh, visuals, and that's kind of what Nicholas Nicholas Winding Refn is, is now sort of renowned for. The film itself is kind of remembered through this ultraviolence. It's this slow, slow build-up of these green fields and this fella being, you know, kind of ticking across these planes. And then all of a sudden, like Drive, and even like Only God Forgives, there's these sudden bursts of violence 
where he's basically like a prize fighter. He's a captive, but he has to prove himself and not be killed by the tribe by proving himself of killing other captives that they've got. So it's almost like a fucking gladiatorial thing, you know, mm-hmm, from like mm-hmm. ancient Rome. Is, is it not like a religious thing as well, though? There's a whole religious thing, too. Where they're kind of looking at the, at the Norse mythology, which I, I'm not even going to try and explain that because I, it's just something that I'm not really well fucking versed on. Yeah. But I'm just kind of taking on on a personal level of just... In 2009, when I was like maybe what 20 and kind of experiencing European cinema and looking at the older stuff, just seeing a film like that and thinking, fuck, you know, sometimes you don't have to have a coherent narrative, you, you don't have to have a real story, you just have to have a character and you know where you want to go with that character and you just have a feeling that you want to kind of express to people. And a lot of people might say now that, oh, Nicholas Vindham Refn, oh, because of Drive, he's very commercialized and and maybe he's just kind of rehashing stuff that he'd done before, and he's trying to, to make that his own stump. But if you look at some before, he kind of went under that uh, that sort of fame and that sort of stratosphere with that, with like the sort of Pusher series, there is like a sort of altruistic aesthetic that he's got there oh, but I, I that is very, very interesting. I think he can close that down but only God forgives though because that was that was yeah. very divisive. Exactly. And, and, uh, much like Valhalla Rising yeah. you will have a lot of critics who will say that Valhalla Rising is one of the greatest films of the past 10 years and then people who say it's absolute shit and it's the very same only God forgives. Mm. And that's why I like about me is very divisive because for me as well only God forgives is in many ways like a spiritual successor to Valhalla Rising that is a complete mood piece. There's no real narrative and again it's about this focus on violence but the only difference is in the two films you're taking one from say medieval Norse uh, Denmark or whatever else or you're taking it from fucking very modern hyper neon lit fucking Taiwan or I think it's Taiwan or Thailand but I don't know I think that he's he's a master I I, I, I personally think he's a master of that and it's just a film that really really kind of stood out to me and it's something that's always stuck on me and it's kind of strange as well like Heron was saying earlier if you have a film that you'll just kind of catch on TV and, and not flick over, or if you have a film that you'll kind of constantly go back to, the crazy thing for me is that I've only ever watched Valhalla Rising once, and it was literally about six, maybe seven years ago, and it's still very fucking vibrant in my mind. Mm. And I think even on a very basic level, that just shows the strength of, of many components of the film. Mm. And the fact that that sort of narrative that I've talked about, this sort of mood piece, this... Uh, all about atmosphere has stuck on me. I, I think that speaks volumes. It might, it, well, not even might, it's definitely not everybody's cup of tea. It, I guarantee a lot of people who were they last name and say, oh, you Valhalla Raisin, they'll fucking despise it. Would I you think, say it's a bit of a brown sauce cup of tea? <laughs> it's a bit of a brown sauce cup of tea, but I think I would say maybe 50, maybe 60% of the people who watch it would despise it, and hence why he's such a divisive director, but uh, I, I personally loved it, and it kind of informed... I wouldn't. Well, I wouldn't say my style, but it informed how I think I would like to make films a lot. Yeah. Well, it's it's, it's just making people feel something, I suppose. I mean, like I think the first time I kind of thought of that kind of thing is with Man on the Moon with Andy Kaufman. Like he didn't care if he made people laugh; he just wanted to make somebody feel something. Yeah. Like he mm. was a dick on stage or whatever, and made people angry. And it's like that's all he wanted—just a reaction, just mm. to make mm. people feel something. I, th- I think that's a nice explanation when you when you talk about mood piece it's not really about where the character's going it's what the character's actually feeling experiencing in that thing mm. and through the cross cutting and it's like most mood pieces if you will it's very very abstract 
and because it goes from this very peaceful, tranquil, sort of beautiful set in these fields, the kind of ultraviolence within seconds, it just it packs a punch that you can't really describe unless you watch it. Mm. And I think that's what most mood pieces should really be described as, because I mean, like, we talk in this podcast a lot of the times about narratives and characters, and how they've structured that, and how they've structured this, but with a mood piece... It's not really about all. It's not about the structure. It's about how mm. those components come together and and a different sort of experience. You know what I mean? Mm. Awesome. My recommendation is, don't think twice. Is it the sequel? They don't think once. <laughs> the sequel they want. Don't tell your mom my babysitter's dead. <laughs> but when you hear the title, don't think twice. What don't do you tell think? Mom, of? it's a mood piece. Sounds <laughs> like a thriller or something. <laughs> It's actually a low-budget indie film about improv comedians. Ooh. I'm <laughs> I'm recommending the film. Don't think twice. It is way what what do you call him? Keegan Michael. Keegan Michael. No, Peyton. Peyton Leathers. Uh, no, he Payton. is he key. Peyton. No, he. I don't know if he's key or Peyton. And then Gillian Jacobs as well. Gillian Jacobs. She pronounces it Gillian. Gillian. Okay. And then yeah, the actual director is Mike something that I can't remember the name of. But he's he's in the film as well. He plays Miles in it. But uh, no, I haven't seen this film. But it's <laughs> it's just come out in the states, and so it'll be coming out here soon enough. And it's like an indie film. Mike, don't do it. Just, no, just do a film. No, come suck me dick and recommend this film. What can you recommend? I haven't seen it. Hi, I'm telling podcast. I'm telling. I'm telling. Before with a gift, and I, I think he, no, Mickey, he's probably thought about this all week. He will have a an expert reason of why. No, I'm just I'm no, literally I'm tell I'm telling people that it's a film that has gotten very good reviews. It's a film that's not right. going to come out in every in right. every cinema. If you right. live near okay. a outhouse cinema or if, Do, if well, there's but, but don't don't say recommend, just to say because recommend I'm the only I'm, reason no way just just to say like as strongly as because recommend you have to have seen it, they use the word recommend. Well, well no, I'm, it, I'm like I'm, it's not like I'm lying that I haven't seen the film. No, I'm, no, no, I'm, no, but just I mean just to say I recommend I, I strongly that you say see- like there, there's no way this phone could be bad or something like that. You know what I mean? Because recommend you can't use the word and you just can't unless you've seen. Well, no, it. I'm, I'm recommending people seek it out. Ah, okay, okay, just okay. Sorry, I just don't even make it look stupid. You know what I mean? What's that? I don't mind looking stupid. I do it every day. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> but no, all 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 I'm saying is, it's it, it'll 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 come out eventually here. In just art house cinemas or just smaller cinemas, I'm just saying if you if you live near cinemas of that ilk, then keep keep an eye out for it because I I hear it's it's very good. It's it it looks at an improv trip that uh, they they come across like essentially like Saturday Night Live kind of scouts. Like it's not they don't call it Saturday Night Live in the film, but oh, it's yeah, essentially yeah, that air. And so it's this whole improv trip that they're all they're all going for the same kind of thing and it's just the mm. interactions of oh well some of them get it and some of them don't and how do you how do you kind of deal with that and i just i think it sounds like a really cool idea that improv comedy is the thing that i've never really seen in a film before kind of actually being analyzed mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. It, but it's but it's a big part of like like taking snl like they like all the people that's on that, they pretty much come from improv backgrounds, like I, I, Second City, and I think it's it's a fucking integral now to modern American comedy films. Yeah, even if you take people like Judd Apatow, Kristen Wiig, whatever else, who kind of started, even like fucking 
Bill Hader, Will Ferrell, you know what I mean? Yeah, like even like people are still on SNL, like Kate McKinnon and stuff. Like mm. they, they're they're all big like improv backgrounds, and even someone like Who's Lines It Anyway and stuff. I mean that that started as a British show and then it went to American stuff. Like it's a it's a big source of comedy, but it's yeah. never really been analyzed in in a well, not that I know of that I can yeah. think of. Like. No, but no, you're exactly right, and this is the exact reason why I was really interested because not only is it focused because you've seen improv comedians in comedies before and they're just kind of uh, improv with each other and it's all done for a comedy i really like the idea of doing that but then actually peeling behind the surface and looking at the dramatic aspect that looking at the comedian and thinking you know improv comedy because there's so many people out there are they going to make it you know what i mean and you that know, would I, really work well if it's peeled rather than key in this film well. <laughs> <laughs> i'm pretty sure it's key though but uh yeah, no, it just it's it sounds like really cool film. So if you see it kind of in your local area or your local art house or whatever, check it out because it's supposed to be amazing. Boom, calm her. Your recommendation, please. Uh, I recommend uh, Donnie Brasco. Yeah, uh, we two giant app jobs like, but uh, uh, it's a film was made almost twenty years ago now, or uh, more than twenty years ago. Yeah. No, no, uh, so nineteen. That's fucking crazy. Like, uh, so uh, Mike Newell, the director of Harry Potter Four. Yes, lovely. <laughs> and uh, it's got Al Pacino and Johnny Depp, and it's based on the real life case of FBI agent Joe Pistone, who took on the alias of Donny Brasco and was undercover for I think a total of three years. Long time away, yeah. and infiltrated the I guess the East Side Mafia in New York, and it it I get the sense of how. You, how one gets to be uh, recognised as uh, a connected guy in the mafia and then represented as a a made guy or whatever and this kind of stuff and it's just I suppose from an outsider point of view via the cop it, it, it's how he had to learn how to be one of these guys mm. really and under the, the tutelage of Al Pacino like, and uh, it's it, it, it's a great film it it it, just, it was one of the, I actually watched the other day. My friend John was over. We were sitting in the house, and uh, it was one of these things where he was reflecting about, no, you know, watching TV and all, and so on. And then I just said, "You ever seen Donnie Brasco?" And he's all, "No, but I love mafia films." And I said, "I was stick us on the phone." Is this Tracy? Uh, no, it was uh, John English John. Oh, who was right, fuck yeah. you know, and uh, oh, he fucking loved it. And uh, I think <laughs> the the film is essentially is like. You know, there's a few films like it. I mean, even in the last Mission Impossible, they talked about they don't care whether you love or die. Yeah. You know, that was a line that uh, what he call her said, uh, Isabella Faust said, or her name. Can't remember her name, but yeah. But uh, she says you don't care whether you love or die. And I think that's it's almost the same with both sides, you know, with the Mafia and the FBI. No, you know, well, the, the FBI don't give a shit about Daniel Brasco. Uh, I mean, for them, he is just a vehicle to get information. They didn't care how much danger they're putting them in. Exactly. And, you know, I think it's the first time you just realised how, you know, the guys he was the guys he was in with had were part of killing a boss. They'd just taken out the second family, so it was essentially that crew yeah. were running Brooklyn. Yeah. And, uh, he was in the middle of it, and it was one of these things where, Jesus Christ, like, it's not like I can give information on other families and we can subtly take these guys down. Yeah. If I give information about what's going on with me, 
they'll know there's a rat and they'll start mm-hmm. looking for me. And uh, it's, uh, it's such a twisted film, but, but you know, it's twisted in every single way. And it's like, I mean, ultimately at the end of this thing that he thought he was doing, he gets handed 500 bucks mm. and gets fucking told, you know what I mean? Sorry, there's a few spotters in there in fairness. Like, But the whole thing is about what what does an agent do? I mean, they, they, they give up their their real life. You know, they, they they really give a trade-off for something that they think is a greater good. Yeah. I think it led to, like, what was it, something like 300 indictments and 200 arrests or something. Has Rico. Been, has soul investigations, like. Yeah. But uh, it's just, I mean, the, the, at the heart of it, it, it's the relationship between him and Lefty, you know, and how he tried to get him out and this kind of thing. And I don't want to destroy it too much, but it's, it's him and Al Pacino together. What really make the film? Yeah. You know, it, it's, it's a, <laughs> and I, I didn't actually understand. There, there's just, when they go to Miami and the, I mean, you, you've seen it before. Or have you seen it? Nah, I've seen it. There's, there's a scene where Al Pacino, his character, is essentially the most unlucky fucking gangster in the world. And he's based on a true guy where everybody seems to get upped around him. Even younger guys who he looked after get upped ahead of him. I so he's just th- always the guy that does the hits and all, and it's probably because... I think they kind of make it evident too, though, that it might not be his entirely his own fault, but he just seems like a buddy of klutz, and he's maybe not as... I always thought that he, he doesn't seem as Aye. masculine as the he's rest always, of the mafia. The, 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 the way I've seen it, right? I always see it as... It seemed, for me, it there, always seems like he's a buddy of joke, like he's a buddy of clown. The way I always thought of it, right? There's the main guy there who you know is the fucking guy, mm. you know, and a photograph... And slightly to the left or slightly to the right of him, there's a guy there that's laughing at his jokes and propping him up, and yeah. that's Lefty. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? That, that's kind of what Al Pacino is in the film. And he He's keeps... always to the left. Yeah, <laughs> well. But I, it's one of these things where where he always wanted to be and I always thought... And there, there's, a, there's a couple of sequences where he tries to go around, sort of circumvent the system, and it comes back to bite him a wee bit. Mm. And then it, it, eventually Johnny Depp, Johnny, Johnny Brasco... Or Johnny Johnny. <laughs> but he he gets sort of upped in the the process, and then it's one of these things where we're lefty. It's one of these things I didn't actually understand until I because uh, <laughs> that whole sequence where where he says uh, he's like, you just stabbed the wrong man in the fucking back, my friend. He says I'm I'm gonna sit in the fucking stern. You go to the bow. They're on a boat, and he says uh, just whatever, <laughs> and this kind of thing. And then uh, he says you just fucking go to the bow. And, uh, th- that sequence, I actually always thought that he was talking about Michael Madsen's character. He says, you just stabbed him in the back, so yeah. he's trying to shift blame on them. I, I've seen this film at least 15 times, and I thought that's what he was talking about. Mm-hmm. But he was talking about himself. Yeah. <laughs> I, know, yeah. I mean, a lot of sometimes you just get a film where you just have a certain interpretation of it, but that time I was just all, all right, fucking uh, Sonny's on this. Yeah. So... Uh, yeah, you you fucked me. You told Sonny. That's what he thinks. That's yeah. what he thinks happened. He didn't realize anything else. He thought he thought that Donnie Brasco told him, or he thought Johnny, you know. But I'll not get into the whole film. But it, it's pretty much it's, up with this, I like. Aye. <laughs> no, I'm not, I'm not getting the ends and outs of the fucking no, film. I'm taking it, I'm taking it, I'm but taking it's it. um, <laughs> it's up. It's one of Al Pacino's finest performances. Like yeah, he's yeah. he's he's so perfect in it, and he's so weak, and he's so vulnerable, and he's so good at it just that interest because you absolutely like love Pacino you're a massive fan what do you Aye. think is 
your favorite Pacino performance? I couldn't say that. No, nah, I couldn't, couldn't choose one. I could. Oh, potentially Donny Brasco. Like, nice I just, one. I just think Potenge. because because he, it's like he musters up every gangster experience he's ever had in a yeah. film, and he turns it under this. I think it's this, this head, realistic kind of because he lives in a wee shitty flat. It, mm. It's not glamorized at all, and that's what Lefty was. I know exactly what you're talking about too because you see the amount of sort of well not the amount but the, all the gangster roles that Pacino done and it's almost like he turns it in his head because and also it's I think it's one of the few times that you see Pacino was being sort of pathetic because even like Cynthia Woman in many ways he's pathetic but he's got this kind of cold cold exterior and he's got power aye. I think it's one of the few times that you see him he's vulnerable not really the first time you see aye, him he's really vulnerable, vulnerable and he doesn't really have no. control like I but it's still it, it's still a dinner scene it's always a dinner scene it just gets me like are you going to bite and that woman? No, no, Donny <laughs> Brasco. I had a rewind it because my friend John was talking. He's like, fuck, I was one of my best scenes in the film. <laughs> and he says here. And he's just all, he's just all, so do you think I cook a Kim Gumbaz in Brooklyn? He's all, they're going to be eating marigold, marigold. They're going to be eating marigold all their life. He's just all, will you taste my chicken? He's <laughs> 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 this chicken's all milk in your mouth, Donny. I'm telling you. This kind of hanging on, he's all, where have you go with the best cooks of men? They're all, <laughs> the best cooks of men. He's all, <laughs> <laughs> so, hand me a punch of salt, and he's just all a pinch or a punch. He's all what is always what I say. He's all, a punch, but he's all hand me a punch of salt. He's all a pinch or a punch. He's all no, well, what do I say. I say pinch or punch. He's all, no, no, no. You said punch. He's just all. Sometimes you don't make no fucking sense, Danny. <laughs> <laughs> he just grabs a fucking fuzzball of salt and fucks it over his shoulder. Oh, there it all. And then he's just all. And then the wife hunter Jackson's he's all. No, I can't. He's all. No, I can't go special like Lefty. He says, "Oh, shut up, in it." And he's all. Forget about it. <laughs> and, he just, and it's just, it's just this really energetic we seen when he's cooking this fucking yeah. chicken, and it's just. He's got that glasses halfway down his, his nose and all, and it's just it's the detail on that. I just love it, and he's he's amazing. At it he's wearing the cheap fucking tracksuits. He's wearing really cheap clothes and all, and it's and it's it's he's decrepit because he loves for the mafia, and he loves for the rules, yeah. and he and even if somebody could hand him four hundred grand, he take a boat to fuck off. Of how miserable he is, because he threatens it a few times in the film, he still wouldn't leave because he aye. believes in the rules, aye, and it's he's, just he's totally come out of that aye, like aye, exactly, and that's 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 the absolute tragedy of the character, and you see it in this final scene too. That final scene before he leaves, you're just oh Jesus, and uh ah, just watch it, it's amazing. Boom, awesome. Okay, we shall wrap it up there, folks. Thank you so much for listening. If you'd like to get in contact with us, maybe let us know your favorite film that you've never seen. You can find <laughs> us on Facebook, Let's Talk More Movies Podcast. You can find us on Twitter, at Talk More Movies. Or you can email us, Let's Talk More Movies at gmail.com. Ooh. You can also leave us comments, reviews on Acast, iTunes, whatever podcast service you like. I've been your host, Michael Breslin. Shankos, Ms. Shankos. Yeah, yeah. Calm Heron from Calm Heron. I'm going to have to regret real bad, though. <laughs> Episode 64, baby. Is it? I think so. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much for listening. <laughs> Goodbye. Six foot. Rolling up the door in my six foot. <laughs> <laughs> In the snow. In the fucking snow.
<laughs> you won't use that like button. <laughs> I'll say. <laughs> Why are you making me edit? No, I have to fucking edit this oh, shit. Yes, they do. You saw. Right. Oh, yes, are we going? Are we going? Fucking get into this now. Like I've been dying for a scrap for fucking about two years. You don't want to see a set of me, Mickey, because I've got a fucking lot of... <laughs> right, whist, whist. You going to this wedding or what? <laughs> <laughs> nah, will I? 